the nation's capital, a public defender facing the biggest dilemma of her career. Miss Riley, have you had contact with a juror on this trial? If I find any evidence of collusion, I'll have you disbarred. If he did it, I'm gonna vote guilty. But if he's innocent, I don't want that on my conscience. A juror with information that can help her. But what you're asking me to do is absolutely illegal. You're gonna let your client just fry because you wanna play by the rules? Or destroy her. I mean, I thought the whole idea was to find the truth. <laughs> Good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are. Welcome to the Knights of the Underground Table podcast. I am your host, John Garcia. Tonight we have a very special movie picked by a very special person. It's 1987's Suspect. Uh, and uh, I'll just hand thing with, with, with me at the table as always is, is Ryan King. Ryan King. No, he's not. <laughs> Where is that guy? It doesn't matter. Uh, we'll, we'll, We'll visit that later, all right? But Dixon is here, obviously. Uh, you've heard him. And, I'm not uh, Ryan King. He's not. But I'm now sitting in Ryan's chair, and it feels feels very strange. Does but, it feel weird to be him? Um, uh, yeah, very, very uh, big big shoes to fill. But, uh, yeah, this was a, this was an interesting movie. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talking about it. Yeah, and uh, holding his tongue over in the, uh, the guest seat right now, which is formerly uh. Dixon's chair, <laughs> is our buddy Lane. Lane, how you doing? Oh, I'm just great. Awesome, man. Well, are you ready to tell us about Suspect 1987 uh, film? Am I For, First of all, we, we invited Lane to join the podcast this week. And I was like, hey, yeah, you pick the movie. Like, it'll be fun. We'll talk about. So assuming Lane would be like, yeah, I'm going to pick a movie that I like think is really interesting, that I really like, and we'll have a fun conversation about something I'm passionate about. And then Lane proceeds to pick a random 1980s movie that he's never seen before. Yeah, I mean. So. Look, yeah, uh, go for it. If y'all haven't, I presume y'all haven't seen it before. No, never. Yeah. Uh, if y'all are coming in cold, I want to come in cold. I was thinking about maybe picking uh, the underrated, including by the director himself, uh, classic Hook. Oh, nice. Oh, yes, no. Well, oh, sure. dear Lord. Thank you for picking this instead. <laughs> I love <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. Orphans. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I decided to pick uh, a movie that I had never seen, 1987 Suspect. For a couple of reasons. One, don't you just love legal thrillers, right? They don't really make legal thrillers out they there. They don't really make legal thrillers yeah. anymore. Yeah. Uh, just because, you, you know, you can't really make a sequel to a legal thriller. That's because they do all of that on TV. Now. Double Jeopardy, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Double Jeopardy 2, Runaway Jury 2. DNA evidence has come up 20 years later, and we are rebooting... What, whatever 1980s legal movie we Thriller watching. 2. Wait, not Thriller 2. Uh, I'm thinking... Uh, I don't know why I said... Anyways, they're all done by Netflix now, Lane. That's why you Fewer don't see them good anymore. men. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a better joke. Uh, yeah. So the reason why I chose this movie is because there were a lot of weird movies made during this period of the 80s where... Studio execs, I feel like we're greenlighting a lot of stuff uh, that they thought would perform well in the box office, right? As any studio exec does. Mm -hmm. But unlike today, where you have all of these sequels and Marvel movies that I know some people like, uh, they didn't have any of that like foundation or infrastructure. And so uh, you were producing a lot of movies that were isolated and had like big potential box office draws uh and in a lot of like weird 
genres that you don't necessarily see today, which is why I think we have a movie like Suspect. So you have Cher, you have John Mahoney, Mm -hmm. right? With a mustache that is like sort of there. (laughs) Yeah. A ghost mustache. (laughs) What's weird about the mustache, just real quick before I talk about the movie (laughs) as a whole. What's weird about the mustache is that it really only shows up when he has his glasses on. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. So it's like an effect. He yeah. just kind of, whenever he puts the glasses on, it shows up again. It's like Well, that's when it, us as the audience can see clearer when John Mahoney's wearing his glasses. Yeah. I see. Uh. It's an effect. Uh, you, you obviously have Cher, right? Who is an amazing actor. She's really good. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. She uh, won an Oscar that year for Moonstruck. I was just thinking about that before this i yeah. was asking i was like she was in something with nick cage's moonstruck right like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah so i just uh, watched that a few months ago it's great nice. yeah so the the plot of this movie in case you the listener has not uh seen this as many people have not is basically the late 80s uh it is some kind of like federal court you know it's a large courtroom lots of wood grain and <laughs> Leo, oh, I forgot about Liam Neeson, of course. Yeah, yeah silent you? Liam Neeson. Yeah. It, yeah. Is, it is very difficult to imagine a world in which Liam Neeson gets cast in a role with no lines. Yeah. Uh, and he's also progressively more handsome, Liam Neeson. Like, as the <laughs> film goes, he becomes yeah. handsomer. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. And so the, the plot of this movie, roughly, and I'm going to take a stab at this, right? Yep. Okay. Because there are, many, there are many beats to it. You got Cher, who is a public defender. She is defending uh, Liam Neeson, who has been accused of murder. He is a suspect. You know, dun, dun, dun. Name. They never use the title, though, in the movie. I never <laughs> heard anybody never say suspect. once <laughs> say it. They turn to the camera and look directly into it. Yeah. Suspect. Yeah. So uh, she is defending Liam Neeson, who has been accused of stabbing uh, some, you know, uh, aid, aid, yes, yeah. some congressional aid of, or no, some aid to oh, a clerk. Uh, it's a clerk. Yes, yes thank you That's right. for a Supreme Court justice. Yes, yeah. Yeah. we'll we'll talk about that in, in, in a second. <laughs> yes, right? we will. Uh, That's all I want to talk about. I know you do. So <laughs> she's defending uh, Liam Neeson's character, and there is a full jury. Of course, on this jury is the wonderful Dennis Quaid in the height. Of his uh, likability, I would say. <laughs> um, one of the many peaks of his likability. Yeah. Very charming. And, yeah. And uh, he's on the jury. He, you know, apparently he's like an amazing detective and like an autodidact. And, you know, he's great in everything. <laughs> and we love him as the audience. And I'm all into it. Anyways, he, quote unquote, interferes slash like investigates for share gives her some clues. John Mahoney is the judge. He presides over the case. You got uh, Joe Mantegna. Yeah. yeah. He's so good as well in an underutilized prosecutor role. Yeah. And yeah, uh, it is the hijinks that goes on with that trial. I just want to call out that Fred Melamed is also in this, who yes. played Morty Rosenthal. He, mm. in, in The Serious Man, he's Cy Abelman, and that's all that I can see him as now. Yep. Mm. Uh, I believe he has a, a a decent head of hair in this movie. Yes, correct? he does. He does indeed. Yeah, so if y'all are, what, what's the actor's name again? Fred Melamed. Yeah, so if you're big Melamed heads. Fred heads. <laughs> yeah, Fred heads, sure. Oh, I see. That's what you're yeah. calling. 
yourselves. Yeah. Uh, definitely check this out because he's he's great in this. He shares friends slash coworker. Yeah. That that being said, we're gonna spoil the shit out of this as we talk yeah. through the story. Oh, absolutely. Did so, I do yeah. a, an okay job? Oh yeah, you yeah. did a great job. Great. That was good. Yeah. yeah. I think that if anything, you left more details uncovered for people to discover if they come into this completely blind. Yeah. Uh, so stop now if you have not seen. We don't encourage them to stop though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, I they would have say to start the movie keep at the listening same time. to the podcast and turn on the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put the subtitles We've on. We've synced and just it up to perfectly. To <laughs> <laughs> it's a commentary. <laughs> <laughs> if you start this on the tail end of Batman and Robin, you'll come right in clean at this yes. point right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll, I'll help kind of get things. Well, I guess I'll talk about, well, how, how for the lane, you feel? general thoughts, yeah, general thoughts on, did you like the movie? You what what were your general takes? Yeah. So, uh, this is not the kind of movie where I'm going to like rewatch it a lot of times mm-hmm. over and over, but, uh, I will have, Surely some specific, you know, uh, bits of feedback here and there. But as a whole, I would say uh, I really liked the movie. I quite enjoyed watching it. Uh, I thought it was well made, uh, well acted. And the plot, I also thought was great. Yeah, I uh, I am inclined to agree, to agree with you. I had some Apple gift card money. I bought a copy of it. Because okay, wow. It, I mean, it, was cheap, it was cheap enough. Like, so, I was like, look, rent or buy. I'll fully I'll admit. I'll go in. I watched it on Crackle, everyone. I was going to do that, but then ads. Yes, with ads. Uh. I, I really, the moment it hit the first ad, I was like, I can't do this. I saw I so many skincare ads. <laughs> I don't know why. Was Sharon any of them? No, uh, it was uh, Olivia Wilde oh. and... Um, Dr. Sadler. What's well, her? What's her? What's I don't, her I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember. So yeah, acclaimed whatever. actress. I can't we'll remember. Get, we'll get, <laughs> I'll remember it later. I only remember. <laughs> anyway, Lane, your skin looks great. Uh, yeah. You're doing yeah, a good job. Clearly those yeah. ads did. did whatever you're doing, Olivia do. Wilde did works. It sure yeah. is fine. She, <laughs> All she's the got tinctures. the secrets for you. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah. I, I agree. I really enjoyed this film. I enjoyed the filmmaking in it. Uh, the tension that's kind of conjured in certain scenes that, seem a little bit more mundane in kind of, I think that like in modern, I love to compare like contemporary filmmaking to filmmaking of the eighties, any past decade. It's always fun to see how people would punch things up now. Mm -hmm. And I definitely know nobody would wait in that fucking library for any of that tension to build. They'd Ah. be like, Oh, let's put some more (laughs) shit in here and make it even more intense. They, they get like, I just imagine great. So good. But I imagine some studio exec that's just over the shoulder. Like, how are they going to know that it's tense? She's looking at a book. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like this kind (laughs) of shit. Um, But there are moments where like, I held my breath kind of along with the characters other moments where it felt like an American Jallo and like, there's not really crazy deaths in it, but mm. there is like a black gloved killer going around. There are a lot of like slit throats and kind of graphicness to it. Uh, and I also just enjoyed, I don't think that I've heard Dennis Quaid say fuck outside of that clip that was recorded of him <laughs> on set when he like mm. lost it, which I mean, that's a serious mental kind of breakdown that he was having. It's fine. Everybody it was Don't the 80s. We used to be able to say fucking movies in the yeah. 80s, but yeah. mm-hmm. not as not as much these days, yeah. unless, you know, on Netflix or whatever the fuck. I don't or know. A24. Yeah, A24. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed Cher's acting. I forgot that Cher was like a really good actor uh, until yeah. I watched the scene. I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm, I'm in on this. I, so Cher is such a huge public figure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she, it, like her face is instantly recognizable. Oh yeah. And like, especially her appearance in the 80s with like the very curly you know, mm-hmm. hair, uh, it is insane that that at least for me, I don't know about y'all, but it mm-hmm. is insane to me that I am able to like uh, suspend forget. my yeah, yeah. I'm able to forget right. that she is share. Like I believe that she is that public defender. Yes. Yeah. I think that's also because I'm very aware of the public defender stresses, and she sold them really well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think too. There's yeah. There's this concept of like you can be too famous to play anyone but yourself in a movie. You know, like if like Joe Biden or like Kanye West was in a movie, they would have to play themselves. Right. They would not be able to get away with playing somebody else and being able to pull it off. But Cher has that level of fame and is just so good that you completely buy it. Well, yeah. I mean, even actors like, uh, you know, like Tom Cruise or Kevin Costner. Like they're I would say that they're pretty good actors, but Uh, they're so famous that they almost have to play themselves like they're stuck and they're they're aware of that right like Uh, they they know that the reason that people go to see their movies is for the for the movie star versus the actor mm -hmm. no offense to kevin costner but i always think he's like the lesser dennis quaid which is a weird thing to say but in my brain that like somehow connects to me i have no idea interesting Uh, (laughs) i think they're a bit similar like they both kind of play similar characters in Just everything. Costner's do, a lot but. more stoic and Quaid is always a little bit more warm and welcoming. In yeah. I would actually say that Costner is the better actor. How dare you? I mean, <laughs> that's a great compliment to Kevin I, th- I think you're both <laughs> correct. Uh, We're fighting over Quaid can shit. be more fun in movies. I think yeah. than Costner. Can. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But. Plus, uh, Kevin Costner has never shown off a six pack in a movie like Dennis Quaid has. No. Oh yeah, Dennis Quaid. No, those are some washboard abs. Yeah, I texted y'all <laughs> yeah. a picture. You did. Uh, and yeah, if it, oh, again, I saved I, it. I I'm still hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, watch this movie for no other reason than seeing the wonderful, surprising reveal of the that, washboard the, abs. That's on the poster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I feel like I've said enough. Lane and I both kind of really dug this. Uh, Dixon, what'd you think? Yeah, I really liked this too. Honestly, I was going into it, not really expecting to like it kind of, you know, looking like a kind of traditional courtroom drama. I will say, I think the plot is pretty fucking stupid. Uh, Like the twist at the end, while I did not see it coming because it was so aggressively stupid, <laughs> like <laughs> it caught me off guard. Uh, I was like, okay, didn't didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it starts out as this movie that feels like this interesting character piece about this public defender and kind of how the U.S. justice system is stacked against poor people and will kind of just let's take whatever poor person is closest to this huh. crime and accuse them of of a crime and put them in jail forever and not really look too hard into this to risk implicating anyone of, of any level of wealth. And I, I really dug that that's what it was doing. And then it turned into like an over the top cheesy thriller. And I was like, ah, I kind of wish it kept stayed what it was for the first half, two thirds of the film. But 
I still really enjoyed it and hmm. dug what it was doing. I think Cher, I, I, I think her performance is really great. She has this just like kind of beautiful melancholy nature that works really well in the role of a public defender of somebody who is incredibly stressed and having to deal with just the most depressing shit every day, having to, you know, deal with these horrible crimes, whether her uh, clients are innocent or guilty, having to deal with all these horrible things all the time. You know, public defenders are underpaid and overworked. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, kind of some of the, the heroes of our society that don't really get the praise they deserve. Yeah. And I, I think Cher does a great job of, of kind of portraying the uh, kind of stresses of somebody who's going through that and kind of the moral dilemma of like, well, like, I don't know if it's worth continuing to do this or if I should just maybe go take a big corporate job and finally make some fucking money. And mm -hmm. or if I just need to keep slogging away trying to fight against a system that is impossible to beat, trying to be there to defend my clients who have no ability to defend themselves. Um, Quite literally in this movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, holy shit, the Liam Neeson character, um, you know, as, as somebody who is, is clearly deaf and dumb and no one thinks to ask him that until yeah. finally shares like, wait a minute, can you just not hear me? Is that why you're not answering my questions? Well, oh, okay. To be fair, uh, like he is beating up slash he's very aggressive yes, he's yeah. antagonistic to everyone around him but the fact that like oh i don't know he just won't accept a lawyer he won't listen to anyone you know nobody actually stops to think that he maybe he's deaf it's, I, I thought it was funny but uh yeah i mean overall i i like the movie a lot you know it kind of jumps the shark toward the end and becomes mm -hmm. some crazy thing that i didn't think it had to be i think it would have been a better movie if it kind of hadn't gotten absurd at the end but i still really enjoyed it um, I thought Cher was great. Dennis Quaid was, was you know, good in a, a Dennis Quaid type of role. Liam Neeson was very amusing sitting there not <laughs> saying anything. And, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good time. So I uh, was, was very happy to see it. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. So you want to Lane, you seem very confused by well, my, I, my overview okay. there. So I agree uh, with certain aspects of what you said. Uh I roll up the sleeves, duke it out. <laughs> yeah, let me formally, you know, for the listener, I'm wearing a full suit cufflinks. Oh, it's a fisticuffs brand oh, cuff suit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, the pres are pre presidential right. seals. They only give out yeah, uh -huh. so many of these. Okay, so I agree with you in that I do think that it, it jumped the shark a little bit. I, I think that, uh, and, and I actually believe that uh, uh, Ebert, old... Old Ebert, our yep. lovable critic, said that uh, the end, like twist, quote unquote, was uh, a little unbelievable. And I agree. With yeah. Uh, which is, and again, here's the main spoiler, everybody. John Mahoney is the killer of the, of the <gasps> aid. <gasps> he requests to try the case. He is the murderer. Yeah. Requests to be assigned to the case it, to try it. Swaps uh, it out with a judge friend of his. The only reason that he is implicated is because he's so close to it. If he just stayed away from it, it would have never been a problem. It reeks <laughs> of uh, change through. Like, it reeks of like, hey, we filmed like four endings. Let's just go with the one oh, that's they did crazy. the clues thing. Oh, could be. They just yeah. never released that's what four. I think. That's what I think. Yeah. So I, I agree with you in the sense that yeah, the ending's a little wacky, uh -huh. right? Uh, and, you know, in the end, Cher is like, hey, I want to call you to the stand. 
And John Mahoney's like, you can't call me to the stand. I'm the judge. He's <laughs> like, well, okay. You're not above the law, sir. Yeah. You need to get in that chair. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I do think that's a little silly. However, I do think that it was not a character study from the beginning. I think it was a thriller, like, top to bottom. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because uh, a couple things. Okay. Uh, we, we enter the movie with the wonderful TriStar logo. Right? <laughs> you don't... Uh, do they don't even, see that that often. So that do means they it's make, not a character study. No, no. TriStar is like the canon I, logo. I would just quickly yeah. say, it, I'm, I'm speaking about this from... I think Cher's performance like elevates this to that saying. level where you... like Maybe I'm inferring things that Eric Roth, the script writer, did not intend for me to infer. Um, Eric Roth, by the way, wrote uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, a Scorsese movie coming out later this year. It makes me a little concerned, to be frank. Hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think like it's Cher's performance that makes you like really attached to the first half of the story I and see what's what going on there. And then I don't know that the movie ever intended to be more than a dopey thriller, but it had the potential to be more, and that's I what I what wanted it to be. I see what yeah. you're saying. So, yeah, I, I do believe that it was always intending to be a thriller. I, I think, yes. and the reason why I bring that up is because, like, the opening credits, that's why I mentioned the TriStar logo, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah, the credits of, like, the lights and the blinds and stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly, and you've got these, like, hard serif fonts, and you've got mm. the score, which, by the way, only comes in, like, five times, but it's, yeah. like, clearly a like noir type, yeah. uh, you know, environment yeah. that, that they want to create. Well, also uh, a character study doesn't start with a man who goes, you know, you can hunt turkeys up in the wild and then puts a fucking gun <laughs> oh in his God. mouth. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, we're talking about it. I really <laughs> only want to talk about the opening two minutes of this movie. Uh, Holy fuck. Like I I texted Lane last night as if you started this thing yet. He's like, oh, I just finished it. And I texted you that as I was like hitting play. And then I responded to you. I was like, oh my God, this opening scene. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's wild. Like this is a, we find out later is a su- Supreme court justice or a high circuit court judge or something. Yeah. yeah. He has the nicest office I've ever seen in my life. Fucking huge. It's got like three or four seating yeah. areas, wood panels on all the walls. It's like a library. Well, I, it's just I, this guy's I wrote a I wrote a note. Uh, I okay. didn't bring my notes here, but oh, I, wow. I do. Wow. I do remember uh, writing this, which was they don't do like opulence like they do in late eighties. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> movies. You know, I'm thinking yeah. like Trading Places. Mm, this is it's what American got Psycho like a, was about. It's yeah. definitely got like a Duke and Duke kind of office vibe. You know, uh, again, wood grain everywhere, full tree. Yes, and every chair is leather. Like it's just like very. You know, everything is wood and leather in the office. There's yeah. no other materials used. And gun, cl- you know, mounted on the. Well, like the man is like, you know, he goes into his office and we don't know who anyone is at this point. There's a woman sitting in the waiting room, which is also very huge for like a waiting room for this office. Oh, yeah. Come in. Sorry, I'm late. And he's like handing out Christmas bonuses while he has a shotgun just casually (laughs) sitting on his desk. (laughs) Hey, yeah. But he's like, my wife died. She doesn't really. I never really know what to get people. She always got the gifts and always seemed to get the right thing. But like, I hope this is good. And like hands her an envelope and she's like, okay, and leaves. And then there's just a shotgun sitting next to him on his desk. 
like, what the fuck? Like, why are you inviting employees in when there's a gun on your fucking desk? Yeah, he got it as a gift, right? Or it was like he ordered it, and he was like, "Oh, look at this! It's like this vintage." I whatever. assume he just had a suicide oh, weapon sitting there because he knew that was next look, on his when calendar. When I saw that gun, I was like, "That looks like if John Wilkes Booth went hunting." And then he what? said, Lincoln used to hunt turkeys, you know? And I was like, oh, fuck. Did I just have some weird mind meld with this movie? Yeah, he's, he's like, <laughs> secretary comes in. She's like, do you want me to call your car, call your car around? He's like, oh, not yet, not yet. I need to organize my desk. Or I need to clear off my desk. And I was, <laughs> after, he then kills himself. And I was like, oh, he's going to clear off his desk of himself. Is that what he's doing? <laughs> he seemed very, like, happy. He's yes. so nonchalant. It's the most nonchalant suicide I've ever seen. He can barely reach the trigger yeah. on the shotgun when the barrel in his mouth it's like oh isn't that cute he's too small for his suicide weapon oh yeah yeah. (laughs) all the way back there because he has to to be able to reach the fucking trigger so yeah this this guy goes um by the way i call this i i call this part of the movie act one uh sharing is caring Uh, (laughs) (laughs) act one is just this scene (laughs) (laughs) um yeah he so he goes full cabane and then we get Ooh. like kind of cut to the Potomac where there's he was like, like he went from happy grandfather fucking... to killing himself in no time at all. And he still <laughs> looked like a happy grandfather while killing happy himself. grandfather to permanent no, happy grandfather. Yeah. yeah, I saw that scene. I was hooked. Yeah, I, no. was, I had to watch it. Absolutely. It, it fucking, yeah, got me right right at the start. I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen a cold open like this okay, before. Can we also talk about the editing is really kind of fucked at times in this movie? Like, there are times <laughs> where it'll just jump hard and, like, whiplash you into something. So, yeah, like, like even right, after him, right after he blows his brains out. Right after he blows his brains out, mm. we just get to see the polar bear club running to the lake. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's It's you know i don't i don't know what kind of uh editing that you would you would prefer here but uh it's, it's hard to come out of that scene it's, it's very minimalist there. yeah you know and, mm. and and i feel like that contrasts with a lot of the set design but yes yeah. uh i mean to the degree that it's set design these are all likely actual places mm. but uh i mean they're they're definitely dressing these places up sure. but yeah but yeah, so like the polar bear club goes to the Potomac. Just a bunch of old like fat that. shirtless white dudes nips out, jumping into the river. Yeah, and, and we get the pan, the camera pan slowly over to just a hand that's there, and uh, that's where they find a. Then we get like a cutback shot of them all discovering the body. You know, it's like Stand by Me reunion tour. Like they're all just over there <laughs> <What>? looking at it. <laughs> they found a dead body. They're gonna look at it. Yeah, uh, and this is the aide that we saw earlier accepting the envelope or i hope this is appropriate uh, yes yep yeah and so i'm immediately like i have a lot of questions about what has happened and what's going on but there's no time for that shit because the police are like looking all around scouring this area already we're in the crime scene so like there's a lot of breakneck pacing when it needs to happen to push things along yes um the police immediately are like well, let's just there's a lot of homeless people around here let's investigate this drainage pipe here uh, mm. And who is this that's sleeping in here immediately? Somebody comes out with a knife, just like cuts one officer, starts biting the other. Uh, and it's good old Liam Neeson. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, and by the way, every homeless person in this movie has a knife of some kind. Yes. You gotta. Yes. I mean, I, I, I uh, so I've, I've uh, had my interactions with, with the homeless community. Uh, there, there are a lot here in Austin. Uh, 
I have never, I've never experienced the amount of no. violence portrayed in. in For the this most movie. part, they're very nice. Yes, uh, like yeah. you know, you don't have these like aggressive interactions that are like a hundred percent of movie portrayals. Yeah, you you touch yeah. slightly, you know, this guy with a with a tattoo you on his serve hand. this dude a subpoena, and then you get your face sliced. Yes. <laughs> fucked up. Um, yeah, the, the the police find uh, yeah Liam Neeson's character Carl Anderson. Out there, they bring Carl him Wayne in. Anderson. Carl Wayne he Anderson. He's referred by three names almost every time <laughs> he shows up. So they bring Carl in. Uh, Carl's not talking to anybody. Uh, why would he not talk to anybody? We don't have accessibility no, accommodations. Maybe he's just a dick. Maybe that's yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, let's just assume he's the worst person in the world. Um, and we also get introduced to, yeah, this is when they're spinning up all the different threads. So we get introduced to Kathleen, which is Cher's character who is sitting in traffic as well. This like around this time, <laughs> this was and the so, most well-coordinated car robbery I of all time. I forgot about that. How could you forget that there's, there's so many different things that happen in this movie? And I forgot about how crazy this scene they, like, is. Throw yeah. a brick in her car that one of them opens the door and snags her necklace. That's like, they, they take got her three purse. guys at the tech the car at the same time in like bumper to bumper traffic like one brick to the windshield two on each side of the car grabbing Dude. as much shit as they can and just running away the entire time i watched that scene all that i could think was to my mother <laughs> all i could think was david attenborough in the distance like they hunt in packs and they use a brick to distract their prey <laughs> i just kept thinking like why don't you lock your doors <laughs> yeah. i was like wait i'm sorry okay uh it's because no matter what she trusts she uh, had her windows rolled down yeah, that's why they just it reached was, into the car and grabbed shit. It was a right. hot day. The AC yeah. didn't work that well in DC. They were a very well coordinated group that was like, windows are down. Let's yep. fucking go. We're going to see <laughs> yes. as much as we can and keep running. They look Clearly. for cars with windows that are rolled down. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly meant to show like, oh, hey, the city is, you know, crime addled. Uh -huh. And also yep. that uh, I think. But the also fact that she stops running, yeah, right, and she's just exasperated by the whole thing. I she's, think, yeah, contributes to her character. She it still does, tried. Yeah. She had a bit of like tenacity to get out of the car to begin with and go after. Like, hey, that's my mother's. I'm trying to go after them, and mm -hmm. she comes back. But the fact that she still shows up to work that day, and yes. it's like, wow, uh, yeah, what a crazy morning it's been. Like. <laughs> I, you know, it's one of those, like, if somebody in the break room was like, don't talk to me until I have my coffee, she would be like, fuck you. Like, I was just yeah. robbed on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, she she shows up and she's assigned basically Carl Anderson's case. Which, uh, by the way, she's in the courtroom talking to her coworker and they're like just having kind of an informal meeting in the courtroom while the judge is like doling out cases. And the judge is like, all right, well, this case is going to be handled by share and yeah. <laughs> uh kathleen whatever and she's like oh but your honor i'm up for vacation he's like i don't give a shit you're gonna take this case <laughs> i was like wait a minute i don't know how public defenders work or really how a cases get assigned or anything i have no idea but does the judge just pick people and like you would think the public defender office would delegate people themselves and like if somebody has a vacation scheduled they would be able to take it i, I would do think. feel like the judge is like i don't care about your vacation you're yeah. gonna try this case yeah all i know about the legal system i know from this movie better call Saul, <laughs> firm <laughs> Yeah, these legal thrillers. Uh-huh. Uh, so I have no idea. But I, I will say that I, I I think that it's a clear 
uh, action by you know the director and 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 the script writer here to to show that there is a level of uh, like chaos in how these courses are uh, these. Uh, Cases yeah. are assigned. And yeah. that does seem to be true from the little that I know about how the criminal justice system works. It does seem to be very chaotic and very stressful for, for public defenders who have way too many case right. cases at the same time and all this stuff. I mean, even John Mahoney is assigned to the case uh, through like some like wheeling and dealing. He cre- trades for it with he another judge. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. On, I like did not parts. understand that part of it, to be honest. They can get away with it because we don't understand how this works. Yeah, but yeah there is very much like a, this, these are the machinations of the legal system. And uh, it seems like everybody's just like, that's the way it is. And they just shrug and go like, well, you should show up for court next Monday, even though you have time off. Fuck off. Mm. Like, right. let's do that. Um, at the same time, we're getting uh, Dennis Quaid's character, Eddie, Eddie Sanger, I think is Eddie his Sanger, name. yes. Uh, he's schmoozing and boozing with he's those senators. The lobbyist with a heart of gold. That's he, right. well, does not exist in society. <laughs> well, that's because he's lobbying for the milk industry, Dixon. Oh, yes, which doesn't milk. have any evil motives whatsoever. No. You remember the, the, the milk industry's motto, got integrity? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's a lobbyist who literally fucks people for votes but he's got a heart of but gold he and feels he really bad. wants he to feels bad about who, it what happened he feels bad about it yeah he does, does. He? i don't know yes well he's like, uh, oh, your clear. eyes are so beautiful sometimes they're blue and sometimes they're green i'm gonna yeah. fuck you and you're gonna vote the way i want look he's charming yeah. he's charming he is and uh very eloquent yep yep and good at his job. And yep. again, as, as uh, he does whatever it takes to win. And he's like brilliant <laughs> in all of these different aspects. He's a that, great detective. Yeah, yeah. All of these things. Yeah. I would just <laughs> posit a theory that there is no such thing as a moral lobbyist. You know, what I, whenever he was on screen talking about the milk lobby, whatever the fuck he was talking about with people, all I could think is, I'm just a simple <laughs> Wisconsin dairy farmer. Well, I thought, I thought, uh, well, you see, I'm a milkman, and this is my associate GW. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like he's wheeling and dealing in whatever fucking one set that they show him in with the Senate, uh, waiting for like whoever senator is to talk to like flirt with her however many times he needs to to get the mm-hmm. vote that he needs. So we're like getting all of our characters. It's a very disjointed setup of like, hey, these these threads are going to intertwine at some point. You don't know when because. Like moments ago, we just saw Cher get robbed on the highway. Right. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing him like, well, we got to get, we gotta give you like a year's worth of milk in those inner cities or whatever the fuck you want. And she's like, you're bribing me with milk? And he's like, yeah. Oh, no, Congressman. On. Yeah. <laughs> There's a long time, like the first maybe 30, 40 minutes of this movie, where you have no idea why the fuck Dennis Quaid is even in the movie. Correct. Like yes. he's not connected to the main plot for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> But he gets jury duty. That's how he's involved. (laughs) Ah, shit. Jury duty. It's always how the plot starts. I mean, I do. I really enjoy all of his interactions with the jury selection process. Right. Like he's he's in he goes to the courtroom. Yeah. Or the or the building where the courtroom is at. It's going through he's, that security. That scene yeah. Is he funny, ta- yeah. yeah. He talks to the security guard about how he can get out of jury duty. And she's like, like, I'm a busy man. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh, well, you know, you've already got out of it once. Like, you're going to have to do it now. She's like, talk to the jury excuse officer. So that wasn't the name, but it was something almost that absurd. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
And so he eventually like goes in uh, for the for the jury selection process. And I have y'all ever been involved in jury selection? Oh I yeah, have I have. Yeah. So it's actually it is somewhat. I only called once, and it was while I was in college, and I haven't gotten a single jury notice since then. And so I was a student, so I could get out of it. Must be but. a good system. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure it's not. <laughs> what uh, what case were you involved in? Uh, a man had um, driven during a flood with a woman in his car into one of those low passes where the water goes over. Water carried the car away. The woman got carried away with it. He bailed out. He was charged with involuntary manslaughter. Oh no. And they were wow. like, we're gonna do uh, you know, we're gonna do the jury selection. And like, we had the breaks where they were like, we're trying to figure out who's gonna be on the jury. Were whatever. you selected? Uh, no, I wasn't because the entire case was dismissed. It was meant to plea. Most of these cases usually go to plea right. before anything else happens. Yeah. So I was selected for my case. Uh, which was a verbal assault case. And, oh, interesting. Uh, it was I didn't even know that was a assault thing. Assault with a deadly word? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, basically it was like threatening to kill oh, somebody oh, I see, else. I see. But, uh, so I was involved in jury selection. It was a civil case. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was, you know, on a much, much smaller scale, it was actually similar to, you know, this process where the uh, different attorneys will ask questions of the prospective jurors as well as uh, you fill out like this long questionnaire, at least for the city of Austin. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I was selected. I was one juror of six. And Damn. It was, uh, oh, wow. Interesting. It's a intense. small jury. Yeah. Uh, I guess it, for civil cases, it's probably different. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a, uh, an interesting process. Six it was not as dramatic as this. Was it six, six angry men. It wasn't. There weren't like surprise witnesses, and the judge didn't do it at the yeah, end. That's yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what's great, I think, about uh, Kathleen Cher's character and and Dennis Quaid. Uh, what's Sanger? Sanger. Yeah, Eddie. Mr. Sanger. Sanger. They, yeah. Don't you remember? She calls out in the middle of the street, Eddie. Yeah, that's right. Thank Never you. mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what I think what's great about their interactions is really represented well in, you know, the scene with, uh, Eddie Sanger in, in jury selection where he's talking about, you know, uh, do I believe in capital punishment or not? I believe the the punishment should fit the crime. You know, the judge is like, although some of us think it should be legal <laughs> yeah, in this right. town. <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, that whole scene is really painting the all of the characters. Yes. Yeah, the exactly. judge is set up as a very good antagonist. Of yes. Like, mm. but, but not like evil. Yes, not right? evil. Right, just... Uh, not evil. Dixon, Dixon is like, oh, I'm Ladies not sure responding about to me rolling my eyes. Well, yeah. I, I, I think he is portrayed as like overly stern. Yeah. Right. Yes. But I but, actually thought at the start he was portrayed as kind of evil because of his like aggressive defense of the death penalty. But then as the trial goes on, he seems more reasonable. And I right. like lightened up. Well, to like a, yeah. a, as an example, uh, Joe Mantegna's character uh, says something about like, you know, she's cooking up, you know, something. It's like a cooking class. Yeah. Or whatever. Like a yeah cooking class. She's trying to make and, this murder trial seem like a cooking and class. And the yeah. judge rebukes him for saying that and said right. to like avoid the, you know, implication and the, the gender stereotypes. So like he's, he's definitely portrayed as like this overly stern character, but one who is 
uh, a believer in the law. Yeah. You know, mm. to, to the letter of yep. the law. And uh, just so th- your regular old conservative originalist. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Absolutely. <laughs> so you have uh, Dennis Quaid and, and Cher's characters interacting with this jury selection process. And she has him like turn around and describe the color of her hair. And that's when he's like, oh, it's brown. And yes, it is. Obviously, it's brown. Yeah. But I'm, uh, I'm colorblind. It looks black to me. Is that wrong? Yes, that's wrong. Okay. Jason. It's it's brown. Okay. I, I thought it was black. That. Are you gaslighting us? I'm not gaslighting. What? Because then he's like, well, what if I said it was black? Then would what would you say? It's it's, it's def- very dark. It's yeah. definitely dark, but it's dark brown. It's one hundred percent. I can't brown. see in shades. I just see all of one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's black or white to me. <laughs> I see. You yeah. you only see two fifty six. That's why I'm not a judge. <laughs> <laughs> John doesn't watch very many color films. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> he's just made his way to the talkies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he's, he's not sure about The those. Wizard of Oz blew my mind last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, we, we also get like a, at the same time we're getting, well, Carl is talking about how like Michael is the, the guy who can defend him. Michael yes. might be the person that can give the information outside of this jury selection. Like Michael's the, uh, the key witness that Kathleen needs to bring onto the stand to really clear Carl's name. Who has um, a tattoo that says Jesus, the savior with a cross. And he stabs anybody who gets near him just mm-hmm. like Jesus would. Yep. <laughs> and, um, WWJD <laughs> bracelets hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> it's all homemade tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and so there's, there's kind of that, that sub thread going, there's so much stuff that spins up at different times to go. And like, you're following these different instances, but, uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating to watch Eddie transform from after the jury selection process. He's actually kind of intrigued just because of the charismatic exchange he has with public defender Kathleen. Um, and he's like, who gives an impassioned like bit of monologue about, the homeless community and how like you Mm. as jurors are asked to really pursue the truth. That's, that's, I guess what I was getting after here, which is that whole scene. Like if, if you're going to watch one scene of this movie, I, in my opinion, it's that it's that scene because it really paints all of these characters as like who they are. Yeah. Um, and and so like after that process, uh, Eddie tries to, pester and tamper effectively <laughs> on his own end with uh with kathleen he's trying to like ask her questions about like illegally yeah. conspire to kind of work with the public defender to solve the case yeah and, and it becomes this interesting arc because he has been uh bemoaning the fact that he's going to do jury duty and like it's going to affect him doing like his lobbyist responsibilities not anymore though because yeah. he fucked that congresswoman and she moved up oh. the vote and voted for it and now he's got all this free time so yeah. now he can just be a pi on the side and d- figure out what's going on with his go case. to parking lots and yeah in the middle of the day give away homeless people and, and parking lot attendants and yeah yeah and so begins like the search for, for Michael begins this request for a continuance. This is where we see the judge get more stern because he's like, I don't give a shit about your continuance. Like it's, uh, it's unfortunate that you don't have your key witness, but we're not going to wait on this trial. And part of that, like in retrospect is okay. He's presiding over this case so he can try to expedite it to a conclusion. He can get cleared. Mm-hmm. He never has to worry about it again. Cause that aid is right. dead. Right. 
great. That's absolutely the, the though. Whole I do feel like the the fact that he is the killer by the end it does cheapen moments like this because You're I right, yeah I I feel like the ultimate villain prior to John Mahoney being revealed as the killer the ultimate villain is the justice system right and yes. in in and uh, the deputy DA to some degree but right yeah yeah and in, in the fact that like we are as the audience we are being told that. There are all these little things, whether whether we're told like directly or not, we're we're told that all these little things contribute to, yeah, we're not going to wait on your witness. Yeah, I don't care if your case is weak or not. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or or due to factors outside of your control. Really, all we care about is that this person is given a trial. Yeah. We don't really care about whether if or not it's, it's a fair, fair. trial. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think that is a much more interesting point than uh, John Mahoney is trying to manipulate events. Yes, and that that's kind of what I was talking about earlier too. And I was like, it's this interesting analysis, like a character study within this flawed justice system, and then it jumps into this absurdist thriller where, like, you know, the judge did it and all this stuff. And I'm just like, ah, like you had a really interesting concept there that was kind of, you know defaming the general concept of the u.s justice system and and getting at things that affect everyone and like i don't think the movie like you're saying i don't think the movie was ever trying to do that it was using that to get to where it wanted to go to be this absurdist thriller but i i do i really liked what it was doing in the first half of the movie and i I wish it had had stay along those lines. There's still some merit in it. I don't think that it changes it for me because I feel like this is a who watches the watchers situation where instead of like mm-hmm. law enforcement being the requested kind of authority figure, the judge is the authority of the courtroom. How much power does a judge have if they represent themselves? Obviously, if you watch any kind of Hallmark movie where Santa's on trial, the judge is an absolute <laughs> asshole that softens by the end of it or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and can be, you're very- breaking into people's <laughs> houses every, every new Christmas Eve. What the fuck is wrong with you? Stand your ground should is be, legal in Texas. Santa. Get the chair. Matilda brings a dollar up to the judge in God. We trust. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not Santa Claus. You bitch. <laughs> Um, but, but even with like this kind of thriller, you know, this is one of those kind of, uh, somebody was in like, Hey, I wonder how far a judge could take something like, Oh, let's just make a thriller out of it. Kind of a slasher sort of f- a feature with a bit more class to it. I should say, see, uh-huh. I don't ever, I don't ever think it was trying to be a slasher. No, 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 not, not until I don't mean that. Like, I just mean, I thought Jello when I saw a lot of it, cause it takes some elements from Jello films. I see what you're saying. There's like this, this like. Uh, you know, thriller idea of like, oh, is the killer like she gets a phone call from a random person yes. as yeah. to go to the train right. station? She doesn't know who's going to be there, and it's it's like framed in this very scary way, like it's shot and scored in a way that it's like, oh, like yes. who's jumping around the corner? Yeah, exactly. They took those thematic uh-huh. elements, and and they had to have a killer by the end of it that was like because Michael's dead by the end of the movie. Right. Who else could it be? Let's give you somebody that's really obvious. Let's Scooby Doo your fucking like mind. And it was like, the oh, old landlord the whole time. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> 
that. That's and really that's what on, I'm, I'm glad you said it, it really felt like that. It yeah, was yeah. a Scooby-Doo type moment. Absolutely. Mm. And, and so like, I, I was like, okay, narratively, I understand that part of it needing to, they were like, well, we can just pull the rug out from other, uh, under people and have this kind of thing. But to me, like even the judge abiding by the laws of the court, the rules of the court still, it doesn't cheapen a lot of what he does and how he says it because he presents himself still with the facade of authority that he's trying to be just he's defending at times the the public defender at other times he's too much he's like really harsh on her because he's already made like an inherent bias and assumptions is what it seems like in retrospect he's covering his tracks the fact that those two things can blur is like kind of nerve-wracking mm. to me in the mm. scope of the film mm. so for me like watching it again i would be like oh he he fucking knows what he's doing but it's crazy that the system has so many kind of buffers of being like Oh yeah, I mean he's just the judge. That's just the call that he would make. Like it's absolutely valid mm. for him to do it. The prosecutor's on his side for a lot of it. Prosecutor even fucking asks, like, I don't think that doing a continuance is is in line, Your Honor. Like when the judge like basically latches onto that and then is like, I'm not gonna answer any other questions after this. Like, no continuance. But for a second, he presents himself as though he would allow a continuance. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's set that whole thing up himself it's still valid that even if he hadn't murdered Michael, that he could have easily done the same thing. It could have been the same route. Yeah. I see what you're saying. It's like, it's interesting that like what he did as a judge, you could buy as a normal judge who wasn't trying to hide the fact that he murdered this guy. And that's just kind of how the system works, right? It's very biased against uh, defendants <laughs> in criminal trials. And, you know, the whole force of the U S government is behind the prosecution and like, you know, there are so many cases where like the prosecution is, like, is supposed to provide the defense with all the evidence they find and they just don't do it. And it's discovered later and the case isn't retried or overturned or anything like there. There's just like the whole justice, the criminal justice system is like pushing against whoever it is like initially accusing of these crimes. Well, and really, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, recent news uh, ish. Uh, didn't the Supreme Court come out and say, you know, from I'm surely a 5-4 uh, opinion that, you know, if there is like extenuating circumstances or evidence, the state is not under legal obligation to, you know, pursue. Right. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. don't have to retry the case. Yeah. It's, yeah. And which that is gives, fucking wild. Yeah. Like there are so many you know cases now where it's like twenty years later. They're like, oh, we have DNA science now, and we can determine that this person didn't do it. And they're just like, I don't care. He's going to the fucking chair. You know, like, right? Not, but yeah. the fact that they were declared guilty by a juror of their peers means that they are guilty, regardless, yeah. regardless of, of anything that comes up later. There's, there's no mm. flexibility in in that portion of the justice system it is very much a checkbox that once it's checked we don't need to uncheck it again like it's done in pen sorry we're not going to scratch it out right and it's mm. just too much effort to even think about it yeah and yeah. that's the argument is like you know how many cases we have to go back through and do it and it's like look there are other people that are fucking doing that for you trying to yeah. like prove these things and the fact that you can't own up to it because it would mean different politics impact for like the budget that the state could be sued in a way or something like that could happen. Um, all impact whether or not we make these decisions that like it, it Cher says it best in this movie. She, she brings up innocent until proven guilty. The idealism of the justice system 
contrasted with the reality of it wrapped in a thriller was fascinating yeah. to me in this movie. And, yes. and Mahoney even says in an argument with Cher at one point where she's like, I know who I need to find to be my key witness and I just need time to find him. Just give me a continuance. And he was like, you know what would happen if we did that for everybody? Like the justice system would just get so Crying clogged up. Yeah. It would take forever to get through all this stuff. And, you know, it's like, you know, may maybe as a society we just need to like you know, change our value system to make sure that we can actually give people fair trials and do what we need to do and make sure we can get proper witnesses and proper evidence in front of juries before. So we're not just rushing cases through. And, you know, obviously there's lots of pro societal problems leading to that with like a lack of public defenders, a lack of uh, people in the legal system that can help move this through. But like, if we decided as a society that was important, we could get there. We could like increase public defender salaries and attract more better talent, more people. We could like do what we need to do to make sure that everybody gets a fair trial. But it, everybody just has this acceptance of what the system is as if that's well, it's just how it is. And so that's just what the world we need to live in. But it's like it's not it's not the world we need, we need to live right. in. We can actually change that world in order to actually give people the, the rights that they have as American citizens to have a, a fair trial. Will one podcast go on record and say <laughs> that we need less battleships and more public defenders? Only this one. This is the only podcast <laughs> bold enough to make that statement. Wow. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to be a guest yeah. here. Battleship yeah. wasn't even a good movie. We need to stop <laughs> spending money on movies like Battleship. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Kitsch, wherever you are, you have a lot to answer for. <laughs> and Liam Neeson. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we get to, we get to, like, after all of kind of the setup of this, of Act One, you know, we get to Act Two, which is the, the like, thick of the plot kind of the mystery it's eddie going from place to place kind of investigating and at the same time kathleen's trying to like dig up more information from carl and try to figure out where michael is uh trying to locate him they uh, uh eddie and kathleen have formed this relationship that despite kathleen's initial aversion to it because of the judge's sternness and his uh, refusal to kind of cooperate and work with extending this case help prove this man's innocence, which she's fairly certain he did. At one point, she even almost loses hope and tells Eddie he probably did do it because she's so fed up with everything mm -hmm. that she's just like, I just want to give up. And the fact that Eddie is like, that's but Eddie's that like, I'm be. too horny to give up now. Yeah. We're going to push through this and we're going to figure it out. Yeah, he's God like, well, it. fuck you too. <laughs> By the way, I say fuck you too all the time. And I had never heard anyone else say that in my entire life. And then Dennis Quaid said it in 1987 in a movie script. And, like, oh, God yeah. damn it. And then you were like, my man. Ah. <laughs> I thought I invented that. Yeah. Nope. Uh, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> say, of course I or call Eric uh, Roth. <laughs> Of course, I call Act Two Carl and Eddie's fair share of casework. No, yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. This is when we also does the get the third nice... act also have a share pun. It does indeed. Nice. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we also get the really cool tense scene where uh, after Eddie and um, Kathleen form a, a kind of formal alliance, Kathleen is warned by the judge don't do that. I think that you might be jury tampering. I saw you with a juror the other day. I'm fairly certain, but I can't prove it. Mm -hmm. um, and again, she's like, another, nope, you didn't. I didn't yeah. do that. And he's like, oh, I got to take you at your word, I guess. Like he's also bound by the legal system. There's not really much right. else that he can press on to do it. So he's just like, fine, whatever. I don't care. Um, Eddie's like found a cufflink, 
found a few other clues about who was in a, uh, the parking lot that the woman's car was in. Um, and finally, they're like, okay, well, like, let's look at some of the, I think that they find out a bunch of cases. They're trying to look at cases because they found a key. Right. Yeah, they have the- a hy- hypothesis based on some evidence that they found that the U.S. Deputy Attorney General was involved in like fixing a case that the current judge was the prosecutor on and they were both able to gain politically somehow. I'm not honestly super clear on the details there, but like they're both able to advance politically and like move up the legal system because of fixing this case. And they're like assuming that they could potentially have some connection to the current case and are investigating that by going to some library and reading a bunch of old cases. Yeah. And we also get like prior to that, a bunch of scenes of anytime they're in the courtroom, we get the courtroom thriller piece of it where they're giving opening statements. By the way, did anybody else catch the boom mic in one of those no. opening statement scenes? Oh, wow. Uh, That's yeah. Awesome. Boom mic spotting. <laughs> I was like, boom mic, big time. Uh, Is this yeah. a porno? What's going right. on here? <laughs> yeah. Right when the prosecutor is giving opening statements, it dips right down and right back up. And oh, I was like, amazing. Oh, oh no. Ugh, sorry, movie. Knock a star off the rating. Peter Yates. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, they have these nice exchanges where they're trying to keep it as subtle as possible with the exception of the one time that Kathleen is yelling at fucking Eddie in the streets. Yeah. Like, Eddie! <laughs> Look, DC is a big city. It's true. Yeah. I, it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, if the judge was there, that'd be some bullshit. Uh, they, I would, they do but, develop a very good nonverbal communication system where like uh, Dennis Quaid can sit there in the juror box and like casually twirl a key and share immediately knows, oh, he found a key that's that's key yep, to this he, investigation. And he leaves it in his glove. Yeah, he slaps his yep. glove on the way out. Well, as he's going there, down the escalator, not looking at her, and then she knows that he left his other glove. Their inside. interactions. Look, I, I Honestly, I didn't buy like the the sexual tension of it all. I I really didn't. But <laughs> but the overall interactions I love. Well, we know Dennis Quaid is into older women, or or Eddie Sanger is into older women. We know this because of the congresswoman that he yeah, fucked. Yeah, obviously. So, so uh, of course, uh, <laughs> why would he? So not? share, you know. But again, he regrets it. I don't know that he does. <laughs> he does. He clearly uh, does. I don't know about yeah. that, <laughs> listener. Watch the scene where he regrets it after the vote comes out. He runs, he sees the vote, and they're like, oh, yeah, she voted for it. Watch his eyes, okay? Yeah. And then right. he's like, now I need to find another project where I can fuck an older woman to no, solve the no, problem. No, no, <laughs> no. Look at his regret. Look at his regret and begin a letter writing campaign to Dixon's address. <laughs> It's that same look of Catholic guilt. <laughs> it's uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That's uh, that's where you can send that. la dee da <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and so at the same time, Carl's giving a bit more information. They also find, when they find Michael dead, Carl, Carl doesn't help his case, okay? Carl has a hard time controlling himself, as you would yep. if you went to fucking Vietnam, got spinal meningitis. And yeah. lost your <laughs> hearing and speech. And yeah. div- your wife divorced you. Yeah, and is the man this, is this before life. he gets called to the stand, or it's or before he gets before. called to the stand? Because yeah. they're they're working to that. That scene is so fucking. Oh, good. I, I so mm. I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we can talk about that because that's going to be in, and we'll just 
boost fast act two act two is a bunch of evidence gathering a bunch of the yeah. mystery the plot thickening act before three. before we get to yeah. act three there's one thing i would just general comment i want to say is that Absolutely. like this movie is shot way better than it had to be and that like really held my attention well where it's like it's nothing like you know like really over the top artistic but like there's a lot of moving cameras and scenes that just make them feel more dynamic that they just didn't have to do that like for the script is kind of dumb as it is like they Uh, just uh, didn't i i I, fine we can disagree on that first two thirds great yeah yeah, i no, i agree on on that i've made that very clear but like we you know the movie is shot really well and that kept everything very engaging it kind of amped up the thriller aspects of the film and even little minor conversational scenes. It's like somebody sitting at a desk and the camera will pan from one side of the desk to the other side. And it's like, Oh, like you just didn't have to do that, but they really put in a lot of work to make this thing look really great. And to just kind of grab your attention where, you know, in a scene where maybe it may not otherwise do that with just kind of a two on two dialogue, the camera is very mobile. You feel like you are, are kind of, part of the scene and what's happening and i was really impressed with the the cinematography and a movie that like just it, it you know it didn't have to do that but it, it did and i appreciated that yeah i think that's uh, you know we'll, we'll talk about it at the end i'm sure but like that i think is the beauty of this movie the movie as a whole and this is why i chose it it is forgettable <laughs> right it is not one of those like movies that enter the canon uh-huh. of 1987 or or like 80s movies or movies as a whole or legal thrillers. But at the same time, there are a lot of great aspects about this movie there are. that make it absolutely watchable. Yeah. Like if this was on like TBS during the day, I would watch. I'd be like, yeah, sure. I'll sit down and watch it. But then I'd forget mm. that I watched it after I walked away. But it would still be nice. Like, be like I, oh, think, yeah. I think Cher's performance has enough like in it to be like this is a movie that i will remember for a while if somebody told me they like share in movies i'd be like oh i've got this one that i watched recently like i would remember it that way Uh i don't think that like if i was in my day-to-day i'd be like i don't watch a movie today i would not remember it off the top of my head for that like it's not going to come up um but yeah well well, now because we've done this podcast (sighs) yeah you're right Uh now it's just embedded forever (laughs) um so we get to, we, can we move to act three? Are we good? Yes, go? we can. Yes. Right, let's do it. Act three, counselors, share your co- closing arguments, uh, which is going to be like the, basically everything's starting to come to a head where we found, share uh, breaks into uh, a, a, the woman's car, the AIDS car and finds. Which has not been impounded by the police for evidence uh, for some reason. It's just left in this public well, parking I think, lot. I think that contributes to like, some aspects of the legal system are very quick and like, let's get this guy convicted. Yep. And other aspects are like, Oh, you know, the police is gathering evidence slowly or like, I would imagine that the police paying a private impound company to come and tow that car away happens very quickly because there's a lot of money exchanging hands and a lot of people very eager to do that job. Sure. It's a movie, Dixon. Yes. I'm also wondering, does that, like, what's the timeline exactly? Because everything, the, the man who blows his brains out blows his brains out one week from Christmas or something like that. Yeah. And then this after movie is that, some point early. No, no, it, this it's trial many months very quickly, later. I guess. Yeah, it's many right? months later. Yeah, it's, it's probably January, but I don't think it's many months. It's because it's cold. It's still really cold. Like Dennis well, Quaid gets DC. his socks and Dennis and his Qu- Quaid is and, like, I got to get this bill done before Christmas, and then they do, and then he has all this free time to 
spend on the trial. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's got to be, it's just and very unrealistically quick. That judge really tries to push that shit through. That's yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, again, I do not want to gloss over, you mentioned closing statements. I do not want to gloss over Liam Neeson's character oh, being, not at all. Stall, uh, being okay. called to the stand. Yeah. Right? We're, because we're I think, I, yep. I think that is one of the most powerful like parts of the, of this movie. Liam Neeson, uh, you know, we all know him, unfortunately, now from, you know, I have a particular <laughs> yeah. set of skills. Yeah, Darkman, we all know. Yes, Darkman, <laughs> of course. Uh, but he, he, like, actively did not want to be an action star for a long time. I and he finally gave in, and now that's all he does. I know, I feel bad yeah. for him. 16 but, cuts to hop a fence. I know. <laughs> he delivers an amazing, in my opinion, an amazing performance here. Yeah, he's great. I know it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a big Liam Neeson fan as, as an actor. Like He doesn't always do great movies now, but I am always a, a fan he of He just needs that, that you know, Nicolas Cage renaissance uh, to happen yeah. to him. He just needs to be cast in more Martin Scorsese movies. He's great in those. Yeah. yeah. So he, he gets called to the stand, and because he is both deaf and mute, yep. uh, he the, the stenographer, like, it, it shows, like, the questions that are being asked to him on, like, this vintage, vintage to us, computer screen, and then... You know, he writes with like a little tablet. It's just a very powerful moving scene. I, I, yes. And he's like not like he's clearly had some sort of mental deterioration from his experience in Vietnam. And he's not necessarily able to articulate to his lawyer or to, uh, you know, the, the court exactly what was going on at that time. But he is able to articulate how he is feeling yes. in a very powerful way. And, and that's he has the very simple three word sentences that just like really convey exactly how he's feeling and how he feels cast aside by the broader American system. Like he's been a part of the military. He has been neglected and his, his illnesses have not been treated and he has right. been left like, uh, you know, on as, uh, you know, without a home and, and stuck in the worst possible scenario. And yeah. exactly. And I, I think what I love about this scene is because this is, you know, this is what, like, it, it's a two hour movie. This is probably mm. like an hour 40 minutes yeah. in. And this is the first time that we're actually hearing his story about like why he's deaf, why he can't speak. We didn't even know he had a wife at this point. Exactly. Like, yeah. that, that they wanted kids, mm -hmm. right? The, we, we hear the wife's name. Uh, and I love uh, the, the questions that Cher asks, like, have you ever been in love? Mm -hmm. Right? Like it really presents this character as not just a deranged, you know, villain but an actual person. Yeah. And I do think like overall, and I, th I this is a, what I love about this movie is that it elevates itself in maybe unintentional ways, maybe intentional ways, but like, this is what's true about the homeless community in general. Yeah. Right. They're no, not I think like, the movie was trying to do that and, ex and excel yeah. at it. Yeah. They're, they're not these like, you know, drug addled, like crazy switchblade wielding people. <laughs> like they all have real stories. They all have lost loves and dreams. And they all were kids that wanted to be something when they grew up. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and like a lot of you know a lot of people in that situation are there because of the broader american system not because of them being degenerates and making right. poor choices it's like oh no like he went to vietnam and got fucked up and america wasn't there for him or like you know there are a lot of people that are homeless now because of the 2008 financial crash and they were never able to be, to recover from it or like people right now that are like real estate prices are rising so much rents are going up so much that they just can't afford to rent anymore and they're just homeless now like it's just there a are, roll of the dice gone wrong there and yeah there are a lot of like there are in another life liam neeson's character made might have been really successful and been you know they're like a, you know john mccain type of figure you know coming out of vietnam and being right. successful and able to actually capitalize on that experience but like everybody has different experiences going into these things right and the u.s government is knowingly putting its citizens in harm's way in these scenarios and not providing support for it for like uh, the burn pit shit that's in the news right now. You know, it's like, you know, oh, we've actively burned a bunch of trash and feces next to our soldiers and now they're all getting cancer and dying, but we're like not providing any medical help for it. You know, like it's almost, it, I, I wouldn't even say that it's knowingly it's in my opinion, it's almost like a law of entropy in that like people, have a predisposition to ignore problems mm -hmm. and it's unfortunate and there are massive, you know, problems here. Like I, I would ask, uh, the listener, uh, the next time they pass by like a homeless encampment and have like, a a worry about their safety. Like I, I, I do understand that. Right. And I empathize mm -hmm. for that. But like, I also ask that person to think about, you know, maybe when they just got out of college or maybe when they were, uh, when they had their first job or whatever in their first apartment and they were really worried about rent and maybe that time their parents sent them, you know, $300 yeah. or something like that. Right. Right. Like imagine what would happen if you didn't get that or you didn't have the fallback plan of, you know, your parents sending you this or, or you, your company downsized at the time. Right. And yeah. You weren't prepared for that. Every yeah. single time that the dice broke your way, there are thousands of people where it broke the exact opposite way mm -hmm. where they didn't have that support structure in any way. And there's just, there is not a good, uh, setup to, uh, to support those individuals. There's no kind of safety net really for that. Yeah. No. Right. And I think too, like, I would say like, I am somewhat sympathetic for the argument of like, oh, I don't feel safe in these environments where these homeless people, but like, what about their safety? Like the homeless population is the most vulnerable population in society. Like they're constantly arrested and fucked with by police and like they are subject to the weather and, and the elements in a way that no one else is like they are the most vulnerable endangered population right. in society yeah, and, so like, can we think about their well-being yeah and and try to solve that problem you also think about just in general the the like the concept of just othering in any kind of way where yes. like the moment that you say you don't feel safe or that you feel like something is is a lesser than you are i mm -hmm. think i think back to like 
any of the cases, of course, there's a lot of true crime shit now, but like any of the cases with serial killers are like, they usually start basically with somebody who is a stripper, somebody who is a sex worker, somebody who has to put themselves in a really vulnerable position. Um, and that's like where they would work from is their area. Cause these people like disappear and don't have family, don't have support systems, don't have any kind of knowledge and homeless people kind of roll into that too with like, as soon as you're somebody that nobody else really knows you, you're way more at risk than mm-hmm. if you like, if you're you listening at home, have like a family that texts you on a weekly basis. Somebody's those people will ask questions. Yeah. yeah. My mom thinks that I'm dead every week. Cause I don't call her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that shit's like right there. That's my right. support net. But these, these people don't have that. So yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I really enjoyed kind of the film's portrayal of that. That empathy and I thought that this particular scene with Carl where he's working his way to he's using the writing pad to tell you more and more heart-wrenching things mm-hmm. until finally like um, Kathleen goes on this tirade uh, it's like so emotional to pull it out of him she knows she needs to kind of motivate him to really make this stand because she's already been denied several continuances any kind of witnesses any kind of evidence yeah. All of this shit's been barred basically from her to use. So all she has is his character and who he is and what he can do. And the only thing that she can really demonstrate is if this man who doesn't speak right now can muster the energy to say no, that's a powerful demonstration to the jury Mm. that he is convicted to like his innocence. He knows that he didn't do it and that they should believe that. And, and what a performance. Oh, oh, he does so like He's his great. Yeah. his head starts to shake, his his face goes red. Ah, oh, it's so good. And I love, love the fact that it's followed up with the shown cross examination, right? Where yep. Joe Mantegna's character, and I, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the name the of prosecutor. his character. Yeah. <laughs> Generic prosecutor number one. Joe the, Montana, yeah. I think, is his character name. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> uh, the, the fact that he says, like, you know, that was a great performance. But, you know, right. ideal in facts. Yeah. And it, it, it breaks your heart. And it's meant to, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and I think uh, Kathleen's line of questioning is... It's very harsh, right? And it is it almost sounds like it's coming from the prosecutor, not from the defendant. And right. it is meant to elicit this emotional reaction out of him because she feels like she has to like hit a Hail Mary in order to make this thing actually happen. And and so she kinda has to go for it and antagonize her own clients in order to kind of get this type of reaction out of him and you can tell he's fucking mad at her but it it definitely gets the desired reaction where like you actually do feel for his situation and and what he's going through Mm. yeah this scene combined with that library scene just both like masterful we didn't really talk about the library scene. Should we briefly talk about that? Let's discuss that Um, because it's, it's, it happens a little bit earlier. It's whenever uh, uh, Eddie and Kathleen are trying to fact finding, trying to fact find. Yeah. Yeah, In the library, they get the key, Mm, the library, a vintage for the listener. A library was where they had, uh, you know, yeah. E-books that you could check out in physical form. (laughs) Yes. They were like movies, but with more pages and and wood (laughs) that had been converted into this thin thing called paper. Uh, and so they, they go to the library cause they got a clue from, uh, basically they go and like try to raid, uh, the aides, the clerks, um, uh, filing cabinet and find out that whatever files were there were already returned to the library. 
ah, shit, okay, well, we got to go to the library and try to investigate what's going on there, what, what kind of cases they could be. They've narrowed down the years. I think it's like 1968 is what they've narrowed right. down to. And they're looking, they're pulling all these books together. Looking for cases where the judge was the prosecutor on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're being very, uh, they're being like pretty prudent about it, but there's still like a bit of, they're still coming into contact, obviously. Right. Like, yeah. They're Quaid's in the character. same public space. Like yeah. if somebody is aware of the case and sees them, they're going to be suspicious. And yep. uh-oh, who oh, shows shit. up to the library but Judge John Mahoney. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I wish that was the character name. Just the actor. <laughs> John Mahoney, as himself, <laughs> but in parentheses, but a judge. That's <laughs> like the sitcom opening. Yeah. I'd uh, watch it. <laughs> yeah, so he goes to like work on something else because he's been tapped by the president for some kind of nomination, right? I can't remember exactly. Right. Some I sort mean, of circuit court opening. And that, he's like so excited. It's well, his shit. I, that's, uh-huh. I, I do, as an aside, I really do enjoy that. Like there's clearly some like machinations of like wheelings and dealings that happen here. Yep. You know, shown not just by Eddie's character, right, but also by like the what's happening in these judges and like who gets elevated, who, you know, who goes forward to the next level of of judgedom. Yeah. There's this idea that like everybody in Washington DC except for the public defenders and the homeless people are just out for themselves to climb the social and political ladder. But what I love about this movie is that it doesn't like, you know, it doesn't spend 30 minutes on that topic. It alludes to it. Right. No, it's just there in the background of every scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, judge John Mahoney shows up and he's like, wait a minute. Isn't that Eddie Sanger talking to Cher? He's up over there on the second deck and Kathleen's over there on the first deck. But I'm, I'm going to pay attention to this. What's going on? Right. Here? But what's great about it is that there's a lot of like interactions of uh, does Kathleen see, you know, the judge? They She mm. has her glasses off. She's looking at a book. She doesn't see him yet. Oh, no. We as the audience are like, you've got to look at him. You've got to look at him. Before, you know, Eddie comes back with a book and then uh, we're thinking, oh, wait, did the judge see her? He has his glasses off. He hasn't seen her yet. Uh-huh. You know, there's a lot of like dramatic tension that's just escalating. Yeah. And, escalating. and then the, I think the first acknowledgement is the judge clearly sees Kathleen, but doesn't see Eddie yet. And you're like, right. oh, shit, Eddie's got the book. He's coming down the stairs. Right. What's going on? Does Kathleen notice the judge? Does she know what's going on? Yeah. yeah. And then she notices enough she notices the judge and then just writes down his name is helms he just yes she just right. writes down Thank helms you. on the paper in big capital letters and, and like taps. and an arrow pointing yeah and just tapping on the paper as as eddie walks by so he knows to look at the paper there's so many moments where they're communicating non-verbally by yes. just tapping things to, it's great yeah. it's it's <laughs> it's really an amazing scene and it's it's I am not going to say that that kind of scene is the reason why I picked this movie. I picked this movie because I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. yeah. But it's that kind of scene that I really don't think that we get anymore. No. Yeah. It, it was done really well. And it's like, you know, the the characters are, are very smart, which I yes. really appreciated. I like, love smart A lot characters. of movies are contingent on characters being stupid in order to make plot beats happen. Yes. And this was like, 
Kathleen and Eddie are very smart and very aware of the stakes and what's going on around them. And Eddie even has the forethought to think, I can't just walk up to her and hand her this book. I need to be careful. Maybe she's trying to signal me something. You know, notices that she is pointing at the judge and then just keeps walking around to another desk, sits down, and then kind of just gets up and leaves. And, and no, and reads the book for a while. Yeah, he, right. he sits there and reads for a while, yeah. And it's all backed by the ambience of a library. Like, there's right. nothing else going on. Mm. There's no So it's very score. tense because it's fucking silent. It's not one there. of the five scenes with the music. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, none of that shit that's trying to go. <sighs> also, like, her and the judge make eye contact, and she, like, nods she respectfully. She gives a little head nod. Yeah, and they do that thing. And so it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, that whole time that it's doing this juggling act, I, yeah, I was holding my breath, just waiting to see what would happen. Um, just, just masterful. Uh, it's really well very done. good. But yeah, uh, speaking of like the characters being mostly smart, with the exception of the chase scene in Act Three, yes, they're mostly smart. I have a lot to say about that. Oh yeah, let's <laughs> let's talk about this now because uh, we were just alluding to the fact that Kathleen had found a tape that's in uh, the the clerk's car. Um, the clerk who was murdered, which, by the way, she breaks open the window. The dude who runs that lot comes up and goes, hey, what the hell are you doing? She goes, I was her friend. And then he just walks away. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're a friend of the deceased? Cool. Yeah, yeah cool. It's totally fine. Car, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyways, plot needs to happen. Uh, she goes and listens to the tape, and it turns out it's uh, shot mu- Shotgun McMouthman uh, talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shotgun McMouthman? Yeah. Dixon, that is what he's credited as. Yeah, uh, fair, fair. That's the character uh, name. Uh, Happy yeah. Suicide Man is how I prefer to think <laughs> of it. You know, Lincoln used to suicide with these guns. <laughs> yeah, Lincoln used the same one at Ford's Theater. <laughs> he's a revisionist. <laughs> Six simple Tyrannus, after all. <laughs> oh my god um so yeah it's it's his recording he basically gives the exposition that hey that clerk found out about this case that was rigged you stacked a court um and here are all the parties that are involved i've been notified so of all of the other parties that were involved in this and they can do what they're going to do i'm going to make my peace with it it'll be somewhere else that i find peace uh and from that point she's like all right i've got the evidence i need to go and tell the judge, what what's happened. Um, and I think even before we find out that that's what's on the tape, she comes to his house and it's like, I found this under extraordinary right. circumstances. I want to share this with you. It's going to clear the case. Right. And it's at mm. that point that we are still not sure who we, you know, think the, the main suspect is. Yeah. Uh, though I think it's really alluding to the fact that it's probably the attorney general. Yes. It's trying to yeah. cast the deputy AG as, as the or, villain yeah, the here. It, but like, also, I was like, is that standard practice? Would you like show up to the judge's house, being like, "I have new evidence. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I just want to well, let you know." She says it's going to happen. Well, if you've ever practiced law, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a simple country lawyer. <laughs> um, well, she says it too. She's like, "I know that this. I'm under duress. Like, this is not." the usual circumstances. She also uses that to kind of pedal out of it and say like, never mind, I don't know what it is anymore. Right. I, I'll show, I'll just present it in court, mm-hmm. but it's enough to, to basically pique the judge's interest. And, uh, the, the deputy AG or DA, is it AG or DA? It's deputy AG. AG. Okay, yeah. yeah deputy, deputy attorney general of the United okay, States. Okay, yeah. yeah. The deputy AG is like, Oh, it's interesting. And he like kind of like wanders off. Takes um, a, makes a phone call. Yeah. He goes to make a phone call, suddenly comes back and goes, well, I have to leave. Because my wife forgot something. And uh, then he's urgent walks, business, yeah. you see. Um, and at the same time, we get to it's listen to like, oh, I'll show the, you out. He's like, no, you won't. Yeah. <laughs> 
we get to listen to the recording uh, and it says all those things, that confession basically. And she's like, all right, well, now I need to go and look in that 1968 law book and find if I can find this case, Cook versus something. And she is like, shit, I left it in the courtroom. And it's the confession is from the deputy AG, I believe, about... No, no, it's from the. No, it's from it's from the. Is it from the judge? It's from the judge who blew his brains out. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, the Supreme Court justice who killed himself. Yeah, he's because he was somewhat he was somehow involved in that rigging that old case to help everyone climb the. Yes, the the Christmas bonus that he gave to the aide was a was the tape gave himself a little Christmas. I've never known what gifts to give, but hopefully this incriminating evidence will make you happy this Christmas. (laughs) Put this in your stocking. Yeah, Dixon, if you ever want to give me a Christmas gift, I would love some kind of confession. Confession. Okay. Cool. I'll I'll record it on a cassette tape. I'll Uh, I'll somehow figure out how to do that. I'll never be able to listen to it. It's gonna be weak shit, Lane. He's just gonna say he doesn't like Marvel movies. He'll be like, "Fucking no." I downloaded songs via LimeWire in 2003. I stacked my playlist in my favor. Um, yeah, so she goes to this, the courtroom at night and there is a shadowy figure that's following her. We get the voyeuristic, we get the giallo aspect for me. Like it's yes. very much the killer uh-huh. behind her Yes, in any point where who's always shown it. in shadows where there's light behind and not in front. So you just see the silhouette. And those scenes I, I think are shot well. Yes, I, they are. They are dramatic. They are tense for sure. I have one. Very important question about this sequence. She's running through like the jail under the courthouse, and this guy's following her. There's not one single person locked up in that jail. Oh, yeah. At night, the county jail is completely empty. Is that the county jail or is that the holding for your proceedings? Do you oh, just like. There are too many cells for that to be the holding for whoever the defendant is in that case. The security, That's bullshit. The There's not a fucking soul. Every, every room, every floor is empty. Look, that's like a classic. There's no one in the jail. Yes. Jails are always full. Yes, that's because we have reached <laughs> full horror mode in, yeah. in this movie. Like, mm. we are, we are as the audience, I think, we are asked, and I think ultimately successfully, we're asked to su- suspend belief here. Yeah. And I do think it works until it's revealed who it is. But ultimately, I, I, I think it works. Cher is like, you know, going through these various, like, federal halls you know, pursued by a shadowy figure. Mm. I, I think if they didn't run through the jail, I would have been more okay with it. But like, I've, I've like, I've been to places like jails like that and they are fucking always full and overcrowded. You have. I have. <laughs> and, uh, rowdy you know, boy. it's especially like at night. That's when they arrest all their, all everybody is at night. That's when cops are out bringing people in. Like there's just no, there's no I just like to way. think of Dixon stepping into that empty jail. So I'd be like, where the fuck is everybody? And like <laughs> the classic Simpsons guy, you missed him, Pally. They're in the other jail. <laughs> I've been to so many jails. There's, there's always packed people. Uh, yeah, so they have this whole tense exchange. They're running through uh, the, the, the jail cells. And then they the, like we get that whole tense moment where Cher's trying to hide. Uh, she forgot that the elevator works way faster for some reason because plot. Uh, and mm-hmm. <laughs> he comes downstairs. And then she gets grabbed and is being choked by whoever. Well, she's Luckily, also against a wall. And she's yeah. like waiting against the wall. She's like, okay, I'm cool. And for some reason, slowly sidesteps in front of some <laughs> open bars yeah. where someone can uh, conveniently come grab her from behind. It really yeah. is like classic Italian yes. you know, horror for uh, sure. Yeah. 
So, yeah, she cuts the hand, and that person relinquishes whoever they may be. We all know it's John Mahoney. Uh, <laughs> and, and then at this point, that's when Eddie shows up, who has gotten a tip from Marty, and is like, oh, I've, I'm here on the other side of the jail cell with all of the guards, like, to save you. We just got Let's here. Yeah, we, we didn't see anything that happened until just now. Us the guards were with me the whole time. <laughs> Um, and, and yeah, we get that whole like, okay, who's it going to be next day is the, the whole reveal at the trial and we get a passionate speech from the Catherine. attorney general shows the, up, the attorney general shows up under special request. It's a surprise to the judge. He calls we believe it's, bench. yeah, we believe it's going to be like a, a few good men scenario, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, uh, he shows up to the courtroom only mm -hmm. to be called to the witness stand to yeah. be accused. I right told the very end thought that they were going to call the deputy AG to yes. the stand and he was going to be the bad guy it crossed my mind that the judge was going to be i was like they wouldn't but then the moment she started i was like they fucking would <laughs> i never go. thought the movie was bold enough to do that but i was very wrong yeah uh, it, i think talking through this whole thing it really is clear that that's the worst mo moment of the movie mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> with the exception of that i really do think that this movie is almost great it's yeah. very, I really enjoyed it. I was shocked at how much of it I, how good a time I had with, with this movie. I, Sasha came in at the end and was watching that bit. And she was like, why is the judge still bleeding? <laughs> I, actually, <laughs> I, was like, I actually like that. I'm like, okay. So uh, uh, I, I think that the reveal, the fact that he is the killer is dumb. The, the idea of him bleeding still from the the arm, yep. I think, is really like a great visual. Oh, it's a good visual cue. It's just one of those things where I'm like, by that point, it would have coagulated. He would have treated it. I would have much preferred her to roll up the sleeve and show the bandages that he mm. had for that. But whatever. I, I just feel like, you know, he, he and that combined with the fact that this stoic individual is now yeah. exasperated yeah. Mm -hmm. and that you see this blood Almost by... It's like his guilt pouring yes. out. Yeah. Yes, uh -huh. exactly. It's a visual metaphor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's the telltale heart all over. <laughs> yes, there you go. Dum -dum. Dum -dum. So, uh, yeah, the judge, uh, I guess, goes to jail? I don't know. They don't really wrap that part up. Whatever. Justice has been done, everybody. Uh -huh. It's at the end of like a... He's not getting episode. that circuit judge job, <laughs> yeah, I Well, you it's, it's uh, USA, so he's... Uh, He's just demoted. He'll be back yeah. on the streets in a year. Giving a slap on the wrist. Yeah. You know, he's he's He just won't fine. get promoted to that circuit yes. court position. He'll no. just be stuck trying no, murder he cases. he will be promoted, but after a year. Yeah, oh, okay. we got to wait gotcha. for things to yep. cool down. Okay. Wait for the next president, and then he'll, yes. he'll select him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, of course, now uh, Kathleen can take her rest. Cher can take her vacation uh, just in time for Eddie to show up and be like, oh, she's like, I'm still working another case. She has not stopped. Uh, and Eddie's like, well, you got an hour. And he just like closes the door <laughs> and is like, let's just fuck on it. He's Why like, I'm free whatever? all day. What are you doing? She's like, yeah. I got to be in court in an hour. And he's like, I know just what we can do. And just shuts the door. What are we going to do with the other 58 minutes? Going to pound town. <laughs> Again, I will remind the, the listener that he has a full six pack in this movie. Mm -hmm. Not one of those like Marvel six packs where it's like, yes, they've been working out with a trainer for a long time. They've been working with a nutritionist for a long time. No, this is a real deal. They've been deal. taking a lot of steroids for a long time. No, this is this is not that. Allegedly. That's what I'm saying. Allegedly. No, no. This I'm saying is that's a, the Marvel one. Yeah, this is not This that. is a real deal blue collar <laughs> six pack. Like the way He's a lobbyist, okay? It's <laughs> not a blue collar six pack. But it looks <laughs> great. Working for the blue collar. We didn't even mention the scene where 
he gets like cut by Michael, the homeless man. Oh yeah, man. he's cut. Baby. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and then Cher pack. takes him back to her apartment to to find to find that he's cut in multiple ways. Yeah, and ends up treating his wound with like hydrogen peroxide, and yeah. he's like wailing in pain. Ouch! Uh, oh, he's got a, like a pretty deep cut right on the top row of his six pack. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just enough to lead her down to the happy trail. But it's that spark that binds them forever. That's right. Yeah. It's also the surprise kiss he gives her when she's trying to fucking get him out of her apartment. Yeah. <laughs> he gives she a lot of she bold kisses. Back. kisses. She, kisses, kisses back. she does kiss back. Yes, yeah. there's a bit of that. He's he's what's what's great about his character is that he is very like sleazy, but never yep. uh, unlovable. It's a sleaze bag mm. with a heart of gold. Yes. <laughs> And again, I don't think there are lobbyists with hearts of gold. I just don't. I don't think those people exist. Not oh, even the agriculture gotta, ones. No. We gotta get you in front of some lobbyists. You would love <laughs> people oh, trying man. to buy votes. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're real good people. Yeah, well, <laughs> salt of the earth. <laughs> yeah, I gotta break this news to my friend who's a lobbyist for the orphans. He's not a good guy. They don't have those. <laughs> there are no lobbyists for the orphans. <laughs> We're all orphans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well uh yeah I, I don't have anything else to say about this movie it's great i yeah i think that i've expended a lot of life. i think you should watch it <laughs> i think i, I do i yeah. definitely we, think so we we do actually go. say do we recommend it or not lane you're, so you're lane, recommending this movie yes. our guest. yeah okay it's right. available on crackle <laughs> to view for free even it with is, ads it held or, or to attention. rent for four dollars via the tech monopoly of your choice or to buy for nine dollars via the tech monopoly of your choice oh god whatever remember you said when you wouldn't bold. watch this movie again but you bought it so yeah. like you could watch it again for free. Let's watch I it after to, Okay, this. I bought. Well, it's because I bought Femme Fatale and I needed to buy something above that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brian De Palma. It just wasn't that good for uh, me. It was not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would recommend this movie. Uh, and it's it's another movie that I'm going on with. Like, hey, look, share. This is great. I'm gonna watch this. I'm gonna watch Moonstruck. I'm going to watch Burlesque. Have you seen Moonstruck? <laughs> no, I haven't seen Moonstruck. It's good. You should watch it. Yeah, oh, Moonstruck's great. Man, uh, I'm, I'm, though, also, it's Nick fucking Cage. Yeah. As somebody who's seen both, I think I actually prefer this I Moonstruck. might have liked this better also, despite my love of Nick Cage. Um, but yeah, I, I, also, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I would highly recommend it. I, I think it's there are a lot of things it does really well and a lot of things it does really poorly. Um, mostly like share is really great and i i think the kind of what the film was doing for the first two thirds i really dug the strip script kind of gets ridiculous toward the end but even like you know the the scene where they're interviewing Liam Neeson's character in the third act is really great so there's still some good stuff as as it goes on um i, I also think like you know when we, we kind of talked about this earlier like they just don't make movies like this anymore like not just courtroom drama thrillers but like mid-budget studio films for adults that have charismatic movie stars in them you know it's just like they're they're not made anymore you know movies spend one to two hundred million dollars to make comic book movies or tom cruise vehicles and that's kind of it and then you have like most of the interesting uh films are made by you know neon or a24 or, P or right smaller distributors and then like you that that Blumhouse. don't have the budget do we do <laughs> we like, know you have like studios actually putting money like oh we're gonna spend 30 million dollars to make 
an interesting adult drama that can actually put some butts in seats, get some star power in there, where you can get Cher and Dennis Quaid and Liam Neeson and get people to go see this thing and have something that's adult that is interesting and engaging to like go as an adult with your friends and then have a fun conversation afterwards. Just like mm-hmm. movies like that don't really get made anymore. And I miss them and I wish that we had more movies like that. So, um, you know, I, I'm allergic to nostalgia, but this movie made me a little nostalgic, to be honest. You should watch more movies in the eighties. Really? Like this whole decade is full of movies just like this. Right. Yeah. And, uh, do we know how much money this movie was made for or I I do not know how much money y'all not have research assistants? We, I don't pay for break. IMDb. I have like the regular IMDb, and occasionally they will tell you, but usually they don't. So I don't, I don't know. I see. Uh, yeah, I just do Wikipedia. I don't do any of the other things that this could be. Hold on here. It made uh, eighteen million, and it was a budget of fourteen million. Oof. Ooh. So it it probably lost money on its marketing budget. Yeah. But it's a real tough break. But it's making money back on me, everybody. Yeah. But hey. like for, a fourteen million dollar budget in eighty seven is not nothing. Like that would be a you know probably forty million dollar movie today. Right. Or I, like I that. bet that was probably yeah. mostly for Cher and, and Dennis Quaid. Maybe yeah. a, you know, maybe a little and also bit like for John it had Mahoney. it had good production value. Like they were, yeah. you know, the the good set design sets. was great, the camera work was great. Like they put a lot of effort into designing these scenes to make them look great on screen so right and and i think what you said dixon is absolutely correct here which is that this was uh a movie made for a much lower budget pursuing a much lower return mm-hmm. right than the movies of today but absolutely worth uh seeing and yeah well and studios used to be like we'll just make 20 of these a year and like enough of them will make money it will be fine rather than like we're gonna make three movies this year and they all cost 150 million dollars and if one of them doesn't make money we're gonna go out of business right. <laughs> like it just it was a lot better business model <laughs> at the time like, and you got a lot bigger variety of stuff to go see you know? well i don't know i do feel like that happened more often than you would think you know in eras of the past like refer to Superman three and four and really all of Canon. Yes. Right. Canon is is treasure beast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they were always pursuing like that. Oh, we've got to make money here. We'll make it in the next one kind of movie. But, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I I do think that like this kind of movie isn't really made as much anymore. It's like, like Paramount was like almost about to go out of business. If Top Gun Maverick didn't fucking like do great. And it did, and so they're still around. But like, like there are like studios like that that don't have these massive IPs, like Disney, that are relying on actually new stuff. And they're like, oh fuck, like we're only gonna be able to make two movies this right. year because we have to try to compete with these Disney and Warner Brothers vehicles. And like, if one of them fails, we're packing up shop. Well, I, I think that a lot of times these kinds of stories are are told through episodic television. Yeah, nowadays. Mm-hmm. But, like, even that requires a lot of calculation and investment and, you know, escaping by on at least to begin with razor thin margins. Yeah. That, uh, you know, the benefit of a movie is that, you know, you get that funding at the beginning and then you can sort of make the movie for that amount, maybe a little bit more, and then you actually have a product. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas, like, a television series, it's like, okay, we have enough runway for one season. Yep. And maybe we tell a story that ends there, but we have to 
tempt the audience with more to come and back. And so we have to end two. in an unsatisfying way, even if we don't know if we'll be able to come back, even if we don't know what the story's going to be going forward. Right. Because we have to end on that cliffhanger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's the benefit of movies, you know, like, a, mm. like Vin Diesel would say, the movies. <laughs> uh, I got like, family. Yeah, <laughs> like this that are uh, great to pursue. And I think that's why, ultimately, uh, I definitely recommend this movie. Nice. Well, there we went. We went full round table back to Lane, recommending it twice. (laughs) (laughs) And you hear that, everybody out there? If you're going to start funding movies, go for the smaller scale Ponzi scheme. Don't go for that big AAA seesaw (laughs) shit. (laughs) Go Canon Films. (laughs) Um, And with that, we will take a break. Movies. They have the power to transport you to other worlds, to help you see life through different perspectives, and to make dark days just a little bit brighter. But sometimes, the transformational power of cinema can feel a bit muted when experienced in the abject loneliness of your own home through a phone, laptop, or your sad joke of a television. But alas, for generations, This has been the only way to consume these artistic masterworks. If only there were a better way. Introducing Movie Theaters. Come see the latest and greatest films on absurdly large screens through booming speakers with hundreds of fellow movie fans communally experiencing every shock, awe, laugh, and cry right alongside you. The greatest technological advancement of the 19th century is finally here, and it's affordable on any budget. Once you see a movie in a theater, you'll never go back to watching them at home again. Movie tickets are reasonably priced, but concessions may cost an arm and or leg. Please consult your financial advisor before spending $9 on a small bag of popcorn. Sorry. I don't know what you're including, what you're not including. All of this. <laughs> um, yeah, you'll know when I go because I like power down and then I just go back I up see. and go. Yeah, that's I see. So we're missing out on all my great Hans Molman stuff. I'm going to put it in there somewhere. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm just. John I'm will edit myself. it in in the most awkward point in the conversation. Yeah. In the background. <laughs> <laughs> I've right. always been old. Okay. All right. And we're back, everybody, with Recommender Refute. You know the rules of the game. We go around the table. We give you a film that maybe you should spend some time with, or we tell you about a film that maybe, you know, just sidestep for a little bit there, you know? Come back to it later if you really want to, I guess. But whatever. Uh, And even though Lane is our special guest, he's the one who picked this film, he has delegated that uh, I should be the one that goes first so he can learn how to do this poorly. Uh, (laughs) So I'm going to try to give it my all. Lane would definitely do better at this if he just (laughs) gave it a a whirl just without hearing I just want to know where the floor is. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's fair. That's That's fair. Yeah. How else could you out. John will give you where the floor is and I'll give you the basement and then you can figure out. I see. Yeah. Yeah, Boom. That's how it goes. Uh, And the, the film that I'm going to be talking about is one that I watched just last night after I watched suspect. Uh, It is 1984's cloak and dagger directed by Richard Franklin. Uh, Sounds intriguing. It is intriguing. 
It's a child espionage film. What? <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a movie about uh, a young boy in the 80s uh, played by uh, Henry Thomas. You might recognize him from E.T. Um, okay. Who is, he encounters a, a game cartridge. Uh, this like guy dies trying to give him a game cartridge and tells him that it like has original Nintendo secrets. kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. It's 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 Atari or something like that. Okay. Um, called Cloak and Dagger, and he's like, "What's so special about this cartridge?" But it turns out that uh, there are, are Russian spies that are after it, that are trying to get it because it has government secrets or some shit like that on it. Uh, and it literally is just this like young boy who is like ten trying to escape a bunch of hitmen that are 40 years old, like all running after him in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. Like a gritty home alone kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he has this imaginary friend named Jack black or black Jack. Jack Flack. I can't remember. On, Jack on the Flack, IMDb, whatever. Page, it's yeah. some Jack of that Flack. shit. Jack Flack, who is a secret agent. That's basically just not his played dad. by Jack black. Yeah. No. <laughs> Jack Flack, who's played by his dad, uh, who's D Dabney Coleman. Um, and so it's kind of like, this imaginary character because his dad is usually away on business all the time mm. so he's like oh i've made up the secret agent character uh the whole movie has That's this kind of sad <laughs> yeah, this, the, yeah the whole movie has this kind of guessing game of like is this child having a mental crisis at his age already <laughs> um he's or so does he just miss his dad yeah. or uh is he actually enveloped in an espionage like kind of case trying to get these government secrets somewhere that isn't in the hands of Russian spies. Um, I will say there's a lot of murder in this. this oh, is good. 80s. This is 1980s <laughs> PG kids friendly film, which means a lot of people die. How much blood are we talking? Not that much blood. It's more of just people die in front of children all the time in this. And uh -huh. there's like little uh -huh. Susie next door. It's like a PG loophole. Yeah. yeah. You can murder people in front of children. And I mean, it's fine as long as there's not blood. This yeah. is the Any same. Any F-bombs? Like, no, no F-bombs. I uh -huh. mean, I know Spaceballs was PG and had an F-bomb in it. You get one. Uh, you get one. One. Yeah. And and so like in this case, if you've ever been curious, if you've ever been to San Antonio, Texas, and you've been curious, what does it look like for a child to murder a man on the Riverwalk? Mm. This is the movie for Wait, you. Wait, the 10-year-old is murdering oh, people? Oh, yeah. He shoots a fucking Oh, dude. hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry to spoil it for everybody out there. Honestly, when you visually see it, the spoilers don't even fucking matter. Oh, I'm sure it's just <laughs> so shocking. I've always so wanted good. to know what that looks like. Yeah. But it... <laughs> If you've ever been like, look, I like the Born Identity, but I wish Matt Damon was 10. This is that shit. You definitely want to see this movie. Uh, does he drive Mini Coopers down stairways? Oh does. my God, it's <laughs> little Jason Bourne. <laughs> he gets rides. Jason just born. <laughs> he gets rides in Mini Coopers. Uh, if you also want to be exposed to the ambient propaganda of the Alamo, uh, this has plenty of scenes with people in the background talking about how Texans just wanted to peacefully resolve their issues with the Mexican government. Oh, my God. It is a great time capsule. Uh, yeah, it, it's... It's campy. It's weird. At times, it's the really Mexicans tense. were trying to colonize us. <laughs> we were just standing our ground. This movie, surprisingly enough, as like absurd as it sounds, it it got me at moments. Like I was really gripped with a lot of the tension of wondering if this boy would be murdered on screen. So uh, it's one of those like, yeah, if you've never seen it and you're remotely curious about that and you're into kind of thrillers and espionage movies, it's still really good. It really well done. I thought um, there's a lot of it. That's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why is this happening? But like, 
It's so this was written by someone named Tom Holland. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Holland's fan fiction before he became the Spider-Man. Before he was born. Before he was likely. born, yeah. <laughs> That's how accomplished Tom Holland is. Oh, wow. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I had a fun time. Uh, Sasha was occasionally tuning in and out of it and was totally disoriented by how much everything escalates. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty great kind of like guessing game of like, is this real? Is this fiction? What's happening? Uh, mm. What exactly is the plot? And and a lot of the twists in it too are like, Oh shit. Okay. That's fuck. That, that actually kind of caught me off guard. So mm. uh, pretty enjoyable. I had a good time with it. Um, I, I would recommend it's, it. The description sounds like a straight up schlock film, but it's got a 64 meta score. It's like, you know, it, there's some, I mean, it's only seven critics have reviewed it, but like, that's <laughs> not bad. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying like, you know, you think about home alone, you think about other movies that have like a kid that's put in a precocious situation. How many uh, have you seen where the kid is literally put into like Jason Bourne or James Bond's <laughs> shoes and has to to strap in for that. Mm. Aside from like Hawk Jones, where it's just all kids doing some fucking buddy cop shit. Uh, this is <laughs> kind of the opportunity to see all the ten year old girls want him. <laughs> all the ten year old boys want to be him. <laughs> Counterpoint: is, Agent uh, Cody Banks. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. He was like seventeen when he made that. It was it doesn't Fair. count anymore. Also, how many murders were there? There weren't enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some weak shit. Yeah. yeah. How many people had squibs explode as their heart just like <laughs> blood gush out? Oh, wow. <laughs> also, a man comes at this kid with a switchblade in this movie. So, you know, it's got to be homeless? good. No, he was not good. homeless in this time. Good. Yeah. We were setting a good example. He was just hired goons. <laughs> <laughs> There's on, on IMDb, the third build actor is someone named Michael Murphy, and he is credited as Rice. Just oh, rice. That's that's it. <laughs> What's going on with that character? I'm curious. I didn't even know most of the character names because I was too caught up in the bullshit that was <laughs> happening with this story. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cloak and Dagger. It's uh, it's great. It goes really well with uh, The Wizard is another movie that mm. I think is often bundled with this. It's really weird because tonally they're very different. The Wizard mm. is just a road trip about some people going to play Mario Bros. 3. But they both yeah. involve video games. And yeah, that's yeah, why. That's I exactly see. why. So you watch The Wizard and then you watch this, you're in for a different ride. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Um, but yeah, Dixon, what do you got for us? Okay. Oh, that sounds that sounds fascinating. Um, so um, last week I talked about how I've been going through my Ingmar Bergman box set. This week I decided to watch a film by a director who is very influential on Ingrid Bergman, uh, Ingmar Bergman. My you apologies. Almost did it. You almost did it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ing both Ingrid Bergman, also great, yeah. uh, but uh, Ing Ingmar Bergman, the Swedish director. Uh, the uh, This man is credited as being the father of Swedish cinema. His name is Victor Sjöström, S-J-O, Sjöström. Uh, and he is most famous now for starring in Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries, which was one of his uh, kind of first breakout movies that kind of got him on the scene came out the same year as the seventh seal um uh, kind of one of the first movies that, that really put him on the the map in international cinema um i i watched wild strawberries recently and i was like i knew bergman really liked him as a director beforehand he was a very famous silent film director in sweden was successful there then actually got pulled over to hollywood and made some silent hollywood films they went back to Sweden and mostly kind of just was an actor and like a theater director for a while. But 
this film is from 1921, a silent film called The Phantom Carriage. Uh, and it was really cool. I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, cool thing about foreign silent films, it doesn't matter that they're foreign films, they're silent. So, uh, you know, they're intertitle cards that are in Swedish, but there's just English subtitles below them. So it's really easy to follow what's going on. Um, but I, I thought it was really interesting. It was kind of a half horror, half like existential soul crisis movie. And like you could really see that Ingmar Bergman pulled a lot from it for The Seventh Seal. Um, and uh, basically the Phantom Carriage is, is based on this Swedish myth that the last person to die on New Year's Eve, like right before the stroke of midnight, has to spend a year serving death uh, like riding, driving this carriage to like collect dead souls and to bring them to the devil. And uh, Victor Shostrom plays the, he's the writer and director and lead actor. And he, he plays a character who is a drunkard who has, um, you know, originally had a kind of a good life with his wife and kids and his brother, and then kind of falls into a life of gambling and drunkenness and, uh, basically kind of has to atone for the sins that he's committed. Um, he gets in a, it's New Year's Eve and there's a woman who is on her deathbed who is a Salvation Army uh, person who has been like trying to help him and get him to kind of get out of his drunkenness and try to turn things around. He's been a dick to her and kind of rejected her efforts to help him. She's on her deathbed, calls for him to come visit. He kind of laughs it off and says no gets in a drunken brawl and dies at the stroke of midnight. And he had, turns out he has a buddy who died last year at the stroke of midnight who has been driving the phantom carriage and comes to get him. And uh, he's like, well, before you take over my job, I'm going to show you kind of what has happened in your life and the sins that you have to atone for. And so there's a lot of like Dickensian, you know, kind of ideas mm -hmm. here. Um, but it's really interesting. Sjostrom is incredible in the lead role, like a really great silent performance that feels a lot more realistic than like, like in America, I feel like we think of silent film actors as like Charlie Chaplin and things like that, that are like, like Chaplin is good, but it's not, it's not a realistic performance. There's a lot of exaggerated pantomiming that has to happen right. yes. that communication. Yeah. And there is some, there's some of that in this where like, you know, there's some, some scenes that like you could imagine like Nicolas Cage doing today, like huh. in a, kind of a over the top uh, level of, of performance, but like not to the Chaplin degree of like kind of leaving the realm of believability. Like there's a lot in this lead character that you identify with and you kind of understand the emotional roller coaster that he's going through as the phantom carriage driver is kind of taking him through past scenes in his life and the evils that he's committed. Um, the film is, is shot to where the dead characters are, it are like, um, see-through and it's shot like basically running the film through the camera again or double exposing it to these new characters and it's it's a really cool like pretty innovative technique for 1921 where you know like you'll see somebody die and then like his soul rise out of his body hmm. and be in the same shot and like something today that we'd be like oh yeah like whatever but like in 1921 that's some pretty innovative stuff um obviously it's it's not a color film because it's from 1921, but it is tinted, which is pretty cool. Like the 
outdoor like it's all it all takes place at night the outdoor scenes are like tinted a dark blue the indoor scenes are tinted kind of a sepia from like the um the lighting inside the bar or the home or whatever wherever places they are um but i I thought it was a really interesting film from a technological standpoint and from an emotional standpoint i thought um like it it affected me watching it a hundred years later and and i felt like it was a, a really interesting story of kind of regret and soul searching and kind of going through um you know how to deal with your own fallibilities and try to address those um and to deal with the concept of death but um yeah i, I thought it was a pretty pretty fascinating movie would definitely recommend it um it's a silent film i know a lot of people are like ah, i don't know that i want to watch something that old i don't think i can get into a silent film mm. i will say the first 30 minutes are a little bit slow but once it gets going it's it's it really gets going and i think it it holds uh your attention pretty well so um i would def- definitely recommend it uh it's called the phantom carriage so um, how long is this uh book i mean movie <laughs> <laughs> these moving pictures uh it is an hour and 47 minutes oh it's not so. nearly as bad as the silent phantom of the opera that's four hours no, yeah, there are a lot of silent films. You're like, oh my god, how the fuck did anyone sit through a four hour silent film? No, this is really not bad. Um, the version I I had the I bought the Criterion disc. It came with two scores. One was like an experimental electronic score, and one was a traditional orchestral score. But both were done fairly recently. Like a lot of silent films didn't have set scores with them. Like they would just send them to theaters, and theaters had their own orchestras, and they would right. play whatever music they wanted to. Yeah. So these two scores were both written for the film. The one I watched was the traditional orchestral score, and it was fucking great. Like, it, it worked really well with, mm. with what the movie was trying to do. Um, so, yeah, I liked it a lot. Victor Sjöström is a really great actor and a great director, and um, there's a lot of influence you can see on Bergman. Um, on Kubrick, there's, a, there's, like, an axe scene that is very much The Shining that, like, clearly was mm. very influential on Stanley Kubrick. Um, and there, there's a lot of cool stuff in it, so I, I would definitely recommend people check it out well my recommendations are much less high art uh, <laughs> than that uh, so I recently have been uh, re-watching some some movies from John Carpenter oh nice and uh, I we did before we recorded this we just had like a weekly like meeting to talk about movies and we talked about they live and yeah, I really enjoyed yeah. they live um, other people did. John, John liked it, but um, Jim was a part of the group at the time, and he very much hated. They, well, they lived, I, okay, but. so I think John Carpenter is great. Uh, I think first off, yep, there are not enough director composers out there. He's a better composer than he is a director, and there's that is not a slide on his directing ability. He's just a fucking oh, great composer. Like his yeah. music is incredible. So good. Yep. Uh, there are many YouTube videos, by the way, of like how. Uh, his like music was actually created. And uh, as an example, uh, the main uh, theme from escape from New York, like it goes into like how that was made at the time, you know, they didn't have all these like bleeps and bloops, you know, you had to, (laughs) you had to handcraft those sounds. Mm. And uh, the fact that he and his uh, composing partner, first name Alan I can't remember his last name but the fact that they were able to do that at that time was was great and it's funny that I mentioned Escape from New York because the movie that I recently rewatched is 
the uh, much lesser Escape from L.A. And yes, it's not nearly as good. But Mm. what I remember from that movie are two things. One, my dad saying like, oh, you know, that movie is not very good. That's not how my dad sounds. But uh, (laughs) is your dad a lifelong smoker? Yeah. (laughs) But no, it's not as good for sure. Per my dad. But also, uh, you know, I watched it not when it came out, obviously, but, you know, after probably after I watched uh, Escape from New York in, in some kind of marathon session. And that was the context in which I viewed that movie. But after some great distance in that first viewing, I will say that it is worth a watch. It is poppy, it is campy, but that's really what, like, Carpenter's movies are, and I think that in that context, yes, Kurt Russell surfs a little tidal wave as <laughs> Steve Buscemi, you know, drives a car next. I didn't know Buscemi was in it. Yeah. Oh, oh he's man. great. He's great in it. I'll watch anything with Steve Buscemi. Yeah, he, he's really great in it. Uh it, it's a good movie. Stacy Keach is in it. For all you Keach fans, he's in this one. Uh, it's it's worth a watch. It's a little bit too long. The CGI is is right in that middle period of like, oh, you know, they didn't really know. They what haven't they were. figured this out yet. Yes. Yeah. But but they have the technology to do maybe a little too much. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, too much green screen. <laughs> not even that. It's, oh, really? wor- it's worse than that. Yeah. Uh, there's like not any green screen. It's more like the scenes where they were doing the CGI just by itself mm. look like, uh, look like, you know, mid 2000s video game. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, 97. PS2. Yeah. No, no, no. PS1. Lawnmower Man? Okay. Maybe. Uh, Lawnmower Man is one of those interesting things where it's like, because it is so unrealistic that it works for the movie. Okay. This is in the uncanny valley of special effects. Uh, I've only seen the Rick and Morty so version like, of Lawnmower Man. This so. is like Species. <laughs> is that, have you seen that one? I have... I believe I've started Species. Okay. <laughs> well, there you're close enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Species. Yeah, so it, it, all, all that being said, it's worth a watch. You don't even need to see Escape from New York to, to watch this movie. It's worth it. The dialogue's funny and campy. But even with that said, I also rewatched the movie uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, um, you've asked me doing a many times right if now? I've seen this and I keep I'm doing a no. double yeah. recommendation. All right, we're going to permit it because wow. you're so special. Because what I am recommending is the, Kurt Russell. Is yeah. the works of Kurt Russell combining with John Carpenter. Oh, yeah. And uh, Kurt Russell is a fucking great He's so great. And Just, I, I think, yeah. and I the, the reason why I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Escape from LA, uh, first off, you know, Dixon went off for like. 20 minutes on some silent <laughs> movie literally nobody's gonna watch after this <laughs> that's right? very true at yeah. least one person might yeah me <laughs> but he's, big, he's not gonna watch yeah. it <laughs> big trouble in little china is in my opinion the even though like the thing is great right but big trouble in little china i think is the peak of john carpenter and kurt russell together it's so great 
it's so funny. The action, the special effects, the music in that I listen to that out the the soundtrack to that movie all the time. That movie oh, okay. is so great. It is 100% worth a watch and I will demand that Dixon watches that movie at bare wow. minimum. Otherwise, I'm going to just be pissed. Uh, okay. Then, Maybe we'll have to have you back on and, yeah, and talk about it's, the it's so channel. It's so good. Uh, you definitely, definitely should watch it. You being the listener. <laughs> I've only, I've never seen all of it. I've only seen half of it. Mm. So I should probably finish that. Which half? first half mm. uh yeah i didn't come in at the end it wasn't like on tv i actively started yeah. it and then i was like i'm not in the right mood to do this mm. i'll come I, back to it where i, I can respect it. this property uh yeah that, that camp i could already tell by the way that kurt russell was talking into a cb radio <laughs> i was not ready i've seen this. it multiple <laughs> times right but but uh i i when i rewatched it recently it was just it's one of my favorite movies, and I I uh, just love watching it. All right, well there you go. Okay, that's a that's a recommend. Two recommendations. On Escape from, from LA and a strong recommend. Again, the combined works. I actually think you recommended three movies: Escape from New York, Escape from LA. And, I did and a Big passive on Escape from New York yeah. Association. The recommendation of you Kurt can Russell mention and John other movies. You know. Yeah. You mentioned The Wizard, John. You I didn't, didn't recommend it. Yeah, I, you know, I was just mentioning Escape from L.A. Fair uh, enough, fair enough. Uh, I want to side recommend They Live to people out there who... <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm not going to do that. I mean, it, I really do like They Live. I like John Carpenter's They Live is a very interesting indictment of Reagan's America that, like, <laughs> you know, people people now like, hey, what the fuck is this? Is this stupid? And it's like, no, this is actually really interesting. And rowdy, okay. rowdy paper, baby. Yeah. Yep. I'm here to take names and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Right. Kick <laughs> ass and chew yeah. bubble gum. <laughs> yeah. I, I frequently speak into my watch when I'm out in public and go, I've got one that can see. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Oh, man. Well, there you go. There you have it. Uh, it's a roundtable of recommends. Uh, from all different angles here, we've got my child espionage of Cloak and Dagger. Such a weird pitch for me to do, but all right, sure. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, my 101-year-old Swedish carriage? silent film, The Phantom Carriage. Phantom yep. Carriage, yeah. And then we've got the works of John Carpenter in collaboration with Kurt Russell, which boils down to Escape from L.A., Escape from uh, uh, New, York. New York, and Big Trouble in Little China. So there yes. you go. There you go, everybody. And that will draw things to a close uh, from the underground table. I have been your host, John Garcia. And with us, the very special guest. Lane White, me. And I've had a wonderful time being here. Thank oh, you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming. We had a blast having you on the podcast. Absolutely. And also, always with us at the table. Ryan King. No, sorry. Uh, Michael Dixon. Uh, thanks for putting up with our bullshit. <laughs> Hey, did you know you can follow us on social? Myself, I find it annoying, like you. But science says this works, so sit down and listen. Unless you're on your morning run, then run on and listen. We're on Twitter and Instagram at N-O-T-U-T-Pod. Those are platforms fellow kids use these days. Did I mention I work for a social media company and a major messaging platform? If you're an older housewife, check us out on our Facebook page. Feel free to hit us up at Knights of the Underground Table at gmail.com. Let us know if there's something you'd like us to review. I'm old enough to remember when Gmail wasn't a thing. Please leave us a voicemail on Anchor. 
actually check those things. We'd love to hear from you. Check out the episode description for more detail. Subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review on that favorite platform. Our overlords need to reinforce their self-delusion that they're providing a non-evil product. 